This episode is brought to you in part by the Second Mission Foundation. Second Mission Foundation is a nonprofit organization that exists to educate, elevate, and advocate for members of America's service community in order to help them find their second mission after government service. Second Mission Foundation was started by and for the members of America's service community. That means members of the armed forces, first responders, security contractors, etc. Second Mission Foundation provides these veterans the opportunity for them to tell their stories, reach their goals, and make their voices heard through educational outreach, entrepreneurship support, and community involvement. For everything you need to know about Second Mission Foundation, go to secondmissionfoundation.org. That's all one word, secondmissionfoundation.org, secondmissionfoundation.org. Profiles in Havoc is a Havoc Journal podcast. The Havoc Journal seeks to serve as the voice of the veteran community. Through a focus on current affairs and articles of interest to the public in general and the veteran community in particular, Havoc Journal strives to offer timely, current, and informative content. When you go to Havoc Journal, you will read the most articulate, opinionated, thoughtful, and provocative veteran writers writing about the nation, the world, politics, national security, culture, fitness, movies, the list goes on and on and on. Havoc Journal is always expanding, always striving to improve the reader's experience. Check it out. HavocJournal.com. That's Havoc with a K. Journal.com. HavocJournal.com. Do we know each other well enough for me to be honest? Can I be honest with you guys? <laughs> so, <clears throat> as you guys know, um, a lot of these episodes uh, we have been piggybacking with Savage Wonder Podcast, um, mostly due to my workflow. And I think a lot of the stories, I mean, we're not, you know, shoehorning in inappropriate content. I think this is a lot of stuff. There's a lot of bleed over in the Venn diagram between the two um, podcasts and the guests and the audience's interest in the guests. With that being said, I got hoisted on my own petard uh, this week because the danger with piggybacking the episodes is that I have to do separate intros and outros <laughs> for the episode, and I really screwed the pooch on that and managed to not record Angelo T. Robinson's intro and outro for Profiles and Havoc. So we're coming out with this late. <clears throat> I apologize to everyone, including Angelo. Um, but it is, uh, and, and I'll be honest with you, I am now, I actually recorded this before the holidays. So I'm really having to go back in the memory bank to remember what the specifics were of what we talked about. I, I, so I'm going to stay with kind of my global assessment of Angelo in general. Because um, I have just, I love the guy from the moment I saw his artwork on Instagram. I was blown away, like, who's, who is this dude that's behind some of this work? <clears throat> then I met him when we were putting on the Savage Wonder Festival last Memorial Day. And um, again, just a human dynamo. I mean, just such positivity, such entrepreneurial mindset. Um, so so much, <clears throat> what's the best way to put this? I'm sure there's a, a, a phrase for this. I'm just either not knowing it or forgetting it. Um, but I'm going to say such... <clears throat> Pragmatic creativity. Um, he is an inherently creative person, but he also has a really sharp, attuned business sense. Um, so he understands the value of marketing, networking, looking for opportunities. <clears throat> and he has given himself his own platforms to create his work and to show his work and sell his work. So, um, so I got all that at the festival. I was like, 
wow, this dude's incredible. And then talking with him on the podcast filled in so many more blanks for me. And it's just, his story's incredible. His naval service is something I think a lot of people are going to relate to. Um, you know, dumb things happening, shit going down, him, you know, going blind for a brief period of time due to an accident. And, you know, I mean, he's naturally an artist and he was blind. Kind of not a great situation, right? And yet uh, finding a way to not just persevere, but actually um, use the residual trauma from that incident to um, affect his art in a positive way. Not by telling the story or anything kind of on the nose like that, but actually incorporating the visuals into his style. And anyway, well, not too many spoilers. You'll hear him talk about that during the episode. So um, I just came out of that episode uh, just going, God, if if I would hire him in a heartbeat, if he weren't so goddamn entrepreneurial, I'm like, that that dude's, you know, marching to the beat of his own drummer. And um, But just really somebody that I think people on both sides of the art-military intersection uh, would want to watch. I think he has an awful lot of ability to uh, – bridge the Civ Mill divide in a way that few others do because of his talent and because of his business sense and his vision. So I'm a huge fan of his. Um, I don't think I've given too many spoilers out for the interview. So you guys should be able to enjoy it uh, pretty well without any more from me. Okay. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is Angelo T. Robinson's profile in Havoc. Welcome to the show, Angelo. Thank you for having me. Dude, this has been a long time coming, man. I'm glad we could finally do this. Yes, yes, I am too. I'm glad you didn't fire me for missing the original date. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, that was a crazy time just in general, man. I was scrambling to get so many episodes front-loaded in time for the festival. Oh, my Lord. Now, that was a nuts time. Right. Um, Hey, can I just say you're making the best case we've had so far for us to turn this into a YouTube show as well? Really? Well, you can't you can't have a backdrop like that and not show it off. <laughs> that's ridiculous. I mean, that's I wasn't just sure. Awesome. So I was like, as an artiste and creative, I got to throw one of my paintings in the back just in case. I didn't want to be caught on camera and people were like I thought he was an artist. <laughs> <laughs> Why is he sitting there with a single white wall behind him? Right. Yeah, <laughs> inside a cubicle or something. I know. <laughs> I, well, that's you, dude. You're always thinking two steps ahead, though. I mean, honestly, um, how's it been going since I last saw you? You, I mean, it looks like you've been busy as hell. Oh my gosh, is that's yeah, that's yeah, been busy. Uh, moving forward, it, and being real with you, coming to New York actually started a whole mindset shift. Being real, it was amazing. Just getting outside, you know, it's almost like being back in the Navy again, going somewhere and meeting, you know, being around the veteran crew, seeing yeah. the. And just that whole feel. But as a creative, I was like, wow, you know, and it really put me back in mindset of some things I really wanted to do. So, yeah, it put me in the busy mode. <laughs> what did it What did it trigger for you? What did you start doing after that? Uh, I started branching out more, reaching out mm. to different creatives because I, I, of course, you know, I do photography, videography and painting, yeah. you know, a bunch of stuff. 
Yeah. But I love helping and helping build other veterans and, and people, artists in general, really creative is my focus. And it really, you know, talking to Gus and talking to, yeah. you know, Ink Stick and everybody else, it was like, wow. Oh, okay. I, yeah, do this, do this, do this. Oh, yeah, do this. It's like, wow, you, you, how do you know to tell us what to do and help? I was like, you know what? That is pretty much true. I love like being the person that with branding and marketing and and help you with your look and the feel of your not just your painting, but this should feel like this and the music should go like this. And this and it triggered that and reopened that back up. How much I really enjoyed helping other creatives. That's really interesting because that's a um I think the force multiplier effect of mm-hmm. successful artists like yourself to go and see people with talent and and root for them. I mean, obviously I can relate to that. That's that I think is it's huge and it is the cornerstone of building an artistic community in right. the veteran space, right? Right. What is that meant for your gallery? Have you been showing work down there? Is it are you trying to or is it just kind of remotely helping people like touch and base? Hey, what's going on with you? You know, giving sharing right. your two cents. Like what does that look like? Kind of both. Um I curate a gallery in Noonan called the Sousa Slay. Um, it was a friend of mine, Paulo and Will, that owned Southern Art Dance. And they had Southern Art Dance Art Gallery. And I helped them rebrand it to the Sousa Slay, a more up-tempo, more contemporary gallery. So I actually curated three shows there. And in each one of those shows, it was all different artists from around Georgia, wow. uh, different, different themes, different things like that. So, and it, uh, we'll probably talk about it later, but it, hence it inspired the me moving to Madison, Alabama, and hopefully 2024, I'm going to open my own contemporary art gallery. Holy shit. You just moved there then since like we no, last I'm, talked. I'm not there yet. I'm, I, we, we have a oh, house going to. built. It'll be wow. finished by the end of this month, hopefully. And we uh, got to sell our house, which we're working on. But we'll be in Madison, Alabama within the next two months. Why Madison, Alabama? Well, I went with a friend of mine, Rich Brown, of Pottery 32. He's going to be moving there in about two years when his daughter graduates, and we were going to look for him. And I got there, and you have all the veterans, and you got uh, the Redstone Arsenal base. You got, you have mm-hmm. NASA. You have the Space Center. And it was it was a lot of military. As you know, when you be around a lot of military people, sometimes it's very, you know, salute and this and yeah, oh, you know. Right. But it wasn't that military. It was hey, I'm a veteran. I own this company. Hey, I'm a veteran. I'm working over mm. here. It was very inclusive and very helpful. Mm. And it was just an amazing experience that when I looked around, it was everything I wanted to do uh, with the company I'm creating, Yellow Tub, which is helping other veterans going into government contracting to find funding for artists or be the guy that gets the set-aside contract that puts the 50 paintings in the VA center, that kind of thing. And they have a lot of that down in Huntsville and Madison area. And I was like, huh. So for a quick funny story, I called my wife. I was like, hey, you remember what I said when our son is eight now gets to high school age, we might move outside of Alabama, outside of Las Vegas because she worked in California to be an easier flight. I said, oh, you thought about Alabama? <laughs> what did she and say? She was she she like, was I'll like, see you later. <laughs> what? what are you talking about? You know? And she came and to her credit, we went to we went and visited and she fell in love with it. And like I say, hence she picked out a house that's been built. And yeah. Yeah. So long story short, like you're saying, yeah. it literally just I've, I've always helped other artists, always helped other creatives, always got the phone calls and the messages like, how do I do this? Right. Right. But now I just would love to take it to kind of, you know, shameless plug for you from for me that I love what you do. Like. 
you know, with a the theater and you bring in other people and you're trying to get grants or money to help them get their project off the ground. To me, there is not enough people on this level being willing to be that person, to be that conduit, 100%. to bring, 100%. bring it out. So there's a lot of creative people that just want to sit in their studio or, or in there and write. They don't want to do the other side. But right. it seems like you kind of have both where even though it's hectic at times and things like that, you know, you get in, you get in there, hands greasy and you're helping and organizing and getting the place and doing this. And but now you can bring those other people in the fold and they'll be able to be successful. A hundred percent. That's, but I mean, you have that same gene in you and you're the way you're exploiting it to turn it into a business that you're looking, that you're able to curate and help and elevate and raise the platform of people. I think is huge, man. What's the art scene like there? Is there one or would you be creating it? Um, And Madison is a huge, it's a pretty big art scene. They actually have a low entertainment center it's a three-story old mill that has been gutted by family and given. They have uh, over 150 art studios, 200 artists, seven art galleries. Holy uh, criminy. Yeah, wow. it's crazy. We went there, and that's what even sold me to, uh, more when me and my friend went there. And, uh, you know, you get to walk in the studios. It's open Wednesday through Saturday to the public. And so they have a huge art scene. But I could, you know, like you said, thinking how I think I could see some little niches in some areas for me that I could fit in. And it was just an amazing sight to walk over here on this corner. There's a potter go over here. There's a sculptor go over here. There's a painter. Oh, here's a lady doing crafts. There's a lady doing jewelry. Here's making soap. And it was just, they all, wow. it's 150 studios in this building, wow. 200 different yeah. kinds of artists and seven art galleries and coffee shop and a wine, yeah, and a, yeah, yeah. Um, a spirits place where you can get like cognac and stuff. You know, it was wow. amazing. Wow. That's really, so are you thinking so looking at it as a businessman, uh-huh. are you thinking that the play is to work with the VA or work with government buildings and curate art for them? Or is it working almost as a um, uh, kind of a, taking commission from artists to help just advocate for their work and get their work seen? Like, how, do, how does that work? What's the mechanics of that? For, it's kind of both for me because I, okay. I like I like all aspects of it. So it would be, of course, all the set aside contracts, trying to look for those and find those. Um, like I seen one in Texas not too long ago, but you had to be in Texas. They were looking for 156 mm. pieces of original art to go in this three. And it was 50 pieces of story, you know, but wow, I was like, wow there's contracts out there like that. So that's one side. But then, like you said, the other side would be to be that person that an artist calls and you have a, a fee or, you know, barter or whatever, and you help them. Okay. Here's your Instagram. Here's your Facebook. And some artists don't want to do any of it, but you got to do something. You know right, what I'm saying? Right. Just, it just having it in your closet, in your garage and nobody's seeing it. It's like, it could be the most beautiful thing in the world. Just like, I'm sure you got people with some amazing plays and amazing stuff written, but unless and you holding it close to your Make heart, yeah. unless you give it and put it out there, it doesn't get that exposure. So I would love to, create that exposure but also like you said and i've curated shows i create my own shows so now i'm able to find a venue create the show bring the artists in you know and let them do what they do and basically it has just been a conduit in different areas of creativity mm-hmm. like i have a blacksmith friend a woodworking friend mm-hmm. pottery friend sculpture i just like um, all of it where some people yeah. i do abstracts i do portraits me, I'm like, hey, what are we creating today? <laughs> you know, whatever we feel like doing. 
That's a great point. What is the brand? Is it veteran artists or like, or is there a certain niche or is it just, Hey, whatever you like. So I will have a niche. Uh, that will be the focus is, um, veteran artists and also, uh, the government, but I will work with, you know, eventually be able to work with everybody. When I say everybody, there's also a limit. I'm pretty sure. I, I don't know how your function works per se, but there, I'll just give you the saying that I have. Professionalism doesn't discriminate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Professionalism does not discriminate on race, ethnicity, sexual gender, sexual orientation. It's professionalism. Mm-hmm. And so I always use that because you you meet people that, oh, I do this, do this, do this. And then you get with them and you get there and they're right. trying to skip processes or skip this and just want to get to the end. I want to make money. I want to I'm be 49 this year. I'm just now getting to the side where I'm able to help other people or do some other things and make my own shows. And like I came to New York and I'm just, even though I did stuff in the Navy and I've had shows and did big shows in San Diego, but still it's a process. And yeah. it just seems like in this last five years, because of Instagram and, yep. you know, yep. social media, people think it's instant. There's still processes. There's still work you have to do. There's still a tell of the tape that you got to go. And I, I want those people that want to just work just want to be in it. Like, you know, the grit and the grime of the yeah. process, you know, we'll get to the product if we keep doing the process. But a lot of people now just focus on the product. And it's like, dude, you can't get to the product unless we do this process. How does that work? How is the art scene working now with Instagram? Cause I, I am confused by that. I see uh-huh. there's, I mean, you know, I found you on Instagram, like there's right. people, right. it is your marketing platform now as an artist. So right. as a, as a curator and as somebody that is, going to be opening your own gallery and all that. What's the allure for an artist to do a gallery show versus trying to sell on Instagram and just hustle on Instagram? I think it depends on the gallery. Okay. Um, I rarely do gallery shows. Not that I'm against them. You know, I'm not against them. But as you're saying, if you think about the the business or the economics or like if you if I'm on Instagram and I'm building a fan base, and I'm doing what I'm doing and I got people trickling in and they're buying or or every now and again, I sell something or I get a show. You know, um, you might have to pay for a couple of different things. But if you get to a major gallery. It might be 50 or 60 percent, you know, and you get 50 or you get 40 percent. Right. Yeah. So if you sell a piece for five thousand dollars. Let's just say ten thousand dollars. Okay, you're giving them five or six thousand dollars. Okay, you got four left. Well, you got your materials, you got your time, you got taxes, you got da 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 da. Okay, you might, and I'm not saying that's bad, but now Instagram has leveled that playing field where I can basically curate my own mini shows with each post or my reels or whatever. I've had artists ask me, or even I've had gallery, like I'll say, artiste, you know, well, why do you show your mistakes and why do you show your work? and I will tell them I had a get messages from veterans. I get messages from other people. Oh, my God, I live vicariously through you. Thank you for mm. talking. Thank you for showing me what you do. And as a veteran that, you know, 14 years and two knee surgeries and fractured ankle and fractured wrist and long social head, had a car accident, went blind that day, was blind for seven days. And oh, we're going to get into that. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, so I'm just saying yeah. all of that. I know this is a gift. This is. Yeah. This is something that you you should be willing to do this. So why should I pigeonhole it that I'm going to sit in my my studio? I'm going to wait to this one building and this person calls me. I got nothing against galleries at all, but that should not be the only avenue that you can get it out. 
that yeah, there's uh, there's coffee shops, there's all kind of other things that you can do. Create your own shows, rent a hotel ballroom for one hundred and fifty dollars for a day. Put your own show and market it. But going back to my one of my original statements, there's a lot of people just want to sit in the studio and paint or just want to post it and yeah. sit back. You know, if you build it, they will come. No, right. you gotta, there's other processes and other things you got to do. What on the flip side of it, what is the biggest advantage of doing a gallery show? What do you get? What's the upside for the artist of putting their work in a yeah. gallery? Um, usually and should be their Rolodex, their collectors, their lists, their email list. So if you're in a decent gallery, there when you have a show and they've marketed the right, whatever, sending out, they have this built-in community, built-in following that, oh, it almost gives you credibility. Like I'm being honest, like coming to New York, I was so happy. I mean, I've been and done it, but as a veteran doing something for veteran at a veterans event, when I'm telling people here, oh yeah, I'm got I got a show in New York. I'm going what? Yes, vet rep and yeah. oh my god, and people and my they start looking it up like oh my god, they do this and it's the discovery because you guys had I call it a backstory. So right. if I go to your Instagram, there's posts, there's I can look at your other podcasts, I can right. I can do all of that. The gallery should have that. They should have a history. And if they don't have a history, they should have forward thinking. Like when I created the Sousa Slate, you know, I'm sending emails. I'm doing advertising on Facebook and Instagram. And I, that first show I did is about 250 people came. And it was from Atlanta and from Conyers and from Macon, Georgia. I drove to Macon, Georgia and picked up artwork from artists that I had met for at another show. And I, had, I said, hey, I'm like doing a show. I would love to have your work. What? In a gallery? Yeah, it was some younger artists, emerging artists, but yeah, as I'm, I should be willing to go do. So the gallery should have some forward thinking and some work that there's a benefit other than them just taking your work, hanging it up. If they sell something, they get 56 percent, then they give it back to you. It should be like this, you know, cohesive kind of interactive thing. And that's the benefit of it. If it's a good gallery, it's a good show. People might not buy that day, as you know. I mean, yeah, yeah. Oh, you. But. If they like you, they they're actually buying you the brand. So if they like you, they like what you're doing, they might follow you to see what you're going to do next. Or they might have a friend talking in the conversation. Hey, I met this guy, Angelo, in New York. You know what? Let me let me give you his card because he got some great stuff. They like what you're mm. talking. That's the other benefit mm. of it too. And that so I don't like I said I don't shoe galleries. You know, but at the same time, it's not a primary focus because there's so many other things you do can do now, especially than to just wait and right. wait for them to call you as a, and go take a portfolio to them and then sit back and wait like you used to have to. So yeah. it's great benefits, amazing benefits, you know, but also there's so much stuff out there now. You shouldn't wait just for that. When is the, the right time? If you're a young artist, when is the uh, right time to be soliciting galleries or trying to get your work into galleries or is that the wrong answer should you be waiting back for a gallery to approach you like what what's the timing like right. when should you be doing that yeah that, that's one of those questions that you you ask 30 people you're gonna get 30 different answers mm -hmm. <laughs> but in my opinion um the the best thing to do is to like i said build your backstory build yeah. you build who yeah. you are because being honest like when you contacted when you guys contacted me i was of the same mindset i get so many messages and email yeah like sure let me check you out first you know what i'm saying right and i went and there was a backstory then i went to your other instagram page there was a backstory there was plays you'd done stuff and you worked with this person and then i looked at the other people like gus and inkstead yeah. you know 
I looked at what they're doing. So you've got credible people coming. That's the that's what should be done. Yeah. That if, if I if you come to me and say, hey, like someone comes to you, hey, I, I, I got this play. Oh, really? I got something I want you. Can you guys do it? OK, so let me see it. Well, I'm almost done with it and I got two pages, um, but um, I might finish it. You know, and it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, call yeah. Me when you get done, call yeah. me when you have something that we can actually present or I'll be willing to help you get there. But I think a lot of people, because of Instagram now is a rush process and social media makes people just throw it out there and they don't get in that. I have a friend named Michael Seabacher. He's a blacksmith. And I love the saying that he has. He says, embrace the sup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to suck sometimes. You're going to mess mm-hmm. up. You're going to fail. People are trying to eliminate that now. You know, we is it, I want to just succeed. No, I know how to do all these things because I failed so many times. Yeah. I know how to market and make my own shows because I made shows and nobody showed up but my wife or nobody showed up but my brothers. Or in high school, I never forget I did a show in front of Kroger and no one showed up but my girlfriend. I had painted all these T-shirts and all this art and she bought one of my shirts, you know. But, wow. you know, wow. and that was in 92, 91. Wow. Here it is, 2022. It's the same thing sometimes. Five people might show up. You don't know, but you're not doing it for those people. Um, me and Gus talked about that when he showed up. He, hey, look, if nobody shows up, guess what? We're going to get these Instagram reels. <laughs> each other. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, people came, but you just got to have that mindset. Oh, you got to think about it. Yeah. It's about this process. And my saying is process over the product. So as a young artist, if you're involved, if you have created your own process, no matter what that process is, and you're working, you and, and you ain't got to be painting every day. I tell people, I'm a stay-at-home dad with an eight-year-old. Like, hey, I, I don't get to paint every day. I, then you got business stuff, you got marketing, you got meetings. I don't get it. We're moving right now. I ain't painting in like a month. Wow. But because I have a process, I can walk over to the studio right now and just boom, 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 boom. I don't have to be inspired because I'm already got so many ideas and paintings in here. That's the other side that I'm looking for. Or as you say, what should an artist, when should you approach a gallery is, if you have this amazing collection of 15 pieces and they're gorgeous and mind blowing, oh my God, we've got people that like this. Okay, what are you doing next? Oh, well, ah, I don't know. Well, I haven't thought about that. It's not going to be successful because mm. it's like a one hit wonder. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. what do you have? You know, what, what processes or what other things that if this is successful and we call you tomorrow, like if you guys call me today, I can tell you 20 shows that we can do. <laughs> you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. It's you to 15 artists to show you shows I've already written. Or you can tell me your idea. I can say, hey, man, you know what, Chris, we can do this. If you guys did this, add this music, to get this dancer. Yeah. Because I'm yeah. always thinking that way. And I think some people have lost that. They only thinking of right now, let me create this beautiful collection and I'm going to send this portfolio out and I'm going to sit back like this. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think the failure is. Everybody wants to be discovered. Nobody yes. wants to go. Right. Hustle. But you, yes. you it's, it's always sexier to just sit and go. Yeah, I was right. discovered. I'm Marilyn right. Monroe, you know, whatever, walking down Hollywood Boulevard and everybody falls into me. Right. Like, that's what everybody thinks. TV and, yeah. and videos, they only, I ain't going to say only. Most times they're only showing you that one hit wonder. They're only showing not one hit wonder, they're only showing you the person that got that instant viral yeah. success. But for every one of those, you know, there's 20,000 or 100,000 people that have been doing it for 30 years. Yeah. But this, yeah. it only happens like it's like Navy pilots. Everybody cannot be a Navy fighter jet pilot. Right. Right. That's like creme de la creme de la creme. Everybody and- can be a Navy SEAL. Yeah, well, you, you see all the movies about them because right. you're like, so you think, oh, right. everybody could do this. Thank you. But it's yes. like, but that that's just 
It's because yes. it's the exception, not the rule. Yes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's where the problem comes in that because people see it, they'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to Navy SEAL training. Um, okay. <laughs> right. 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 For you, did it, what came first, the business acumen and the smarts or the mm-hmm. art? Huh. That's a great question. Um, I'm going to say from little age, it was the art, but then it both got intertwined. I grew up in the country and I always haven't seen any country miles. My grandmother, one lived up by Atlanta, one lived in the country in Pauline County, but they both was businesswomen. Mm. So one of them worked for stores and did clothes. And so the other one worked for all the farmers and did all their clothes and food and all that. But they would pick me up and drag me around to all and collecting their money and doing stuff. But I was the kid that when we have the empty house and all the cousins are playing, they're looking for me. They come up and my grandmother's. I don't remember the story. Of course, she said I'm in the middle of the floor tracing pictures out of magazines and encyclopedias and papers everywhere. So they could tell I had been going up there at three years old, tracing wow. pictures and doing stuff. And it just never stopped. I would get notes home first, second grade, kindergarten. Mr. Robinson Angelo is amazing. He makes a hundred. He's so personable and mannerable. But can you talk to him? All of his tests have all these little drawings on him. All his homework have all these drawings on him, you know? Wow. So you got to imagine my dad's a Pentecostal preacher. (laughs) (laughs) My late grandfather's a Pentecostal preacher. So, you know, it was like, hey, what are you doing? You know? (laughs) My grandmother said, leave him alone. He's got to get, you know? Yeah. And what was the house like to grow up in? Was it, was it full of, was there, was it an artistic environment? Do you think looking back or were you the exception? No, I will say me and my brothers, I have, I'm the oldest of eight. Okay. Wow. Five, six boys, two girls. Wow. Um, and my mom was a stay at home mom. And we talked about this often that she was the one that put them nuggets in there because there were times she wouldn't let us go outside and play. She would give us a coloring book and we had to color these things that we got to the point where we could do shading with crayons and she wouldn't make you color it over if there was white spaces in between the blue, you know? And so she made us like write and draw and color every summer. And, and, what, and just, why was that? Why wasn't she letting you guys start to play? That, it's that, that's one of the things that we talk about that um, she said she just wanted us to do something different. And we lived in the country. There was nowhere for us to go. Like, to the, go in the woods and run around, go hunting on Sundays. You know, um, my kids pick at me now because my mom verified my stories that we used to take our BB gun and on Saturdays go shoot squirrels and doves, come home and skin them and cook them. It was like, Dad, you was country, you know? <laughs> but then I go to Atlanta. Yeah. My grandmother there is a Jehovah Witness. And she's in the city and she's driving her lime green car going to the places and doing dresses and custom clothes and the bell bottoms. And then my uncle Mike is painting soul strutting on the van and doing graffiti on the side of his wow. van. So I see it, and it was there. So the household, but my household was very organized because my dad was, like I said, a preacher and my mom was the stay at home mom. So it was always something to do, always with my brothers, always us competing with each other to draw the best horse and draw the best whatever and we just always did it and it was competitive oh yeah it, it was in a good way but we was always competitive i mean i, I know my brother mario he, we would do a lot of business together and he always was very architectural drew houses and the lines and the angles i was like hey man look you want to learn how to draw some horse <laughs> like i can draw both i'm you i'm look draw this cow you know and i taught him how to draw different stuff and as I went to high school and learned stuff, I would come home and 
show them. And then we would compete on who we designed our own clothes and we was painting. I was painting. I came home in second or third grade and my mom thought I was stealing money because I had like 10 bucks worth of quarters and, you know, change. But she verified with the teacher that every my class used to win the 4-H poster contest all the time because I did all the posters. So when the, we was waiting for the bus to come uh, after school, other teachers and kids would come into class, bring posters. They would, I would charge 50 cents. They give me 75 cents or something to draw their posters. So at the end of the week, I'm coming home with eight, ten bucks worth of quarters, and she's thinking I stole all this money. But from first to sixth grade, I'm out there making my. I didn't know what yeah. business entrepreneur was. It just happened. Right. It just so point towards your question. It just happened. It was just something that was innate, I guess. I, you know, it just happened. What did you, What did your parents want for you? Did they did, were they did they see the future of an artistic career, or what, what did they think was your outcome should be? My mom seen it more. My dad thought sports and football. Okay. Uh, I, you know, by high school time, I had like some division two offers. A couple of people okay. wanted to run the 40, stuff like that. I wasn't like, you know, big time, but, you know, I was good enough. Played basketball, track, all that kind of stuff. And I think he just wanted me to go to college and get a job, you know. Um, and but my mom seen it more because she was always like, don't worry about what your daddy talking about. Just keep doing what you're doing. You know, that kind of thing, you know. And so, but you got to imagine sixth, seventh grade, eighth grade, I'm winning contests, beating seniors in high school, beating people in high school. And Wait, you for art, you mean? For art, yeah, wow. for art. Wow. And then you go to these colleges, you go somewhere and you sit there and it's okay, we're going to do live drawing. I don't know what that is. All of a sudden, this lady walks in and takes clothes off and sits on this thing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But yeah. being the artist... I'm just like, oh, you know, drawing, you know, get my lines right and the shading. And yeah. I'm literally just doing what I'm doing. I go home all excited. Oh, my God. Dad, look at me. Man, I was the best. I beat all this. What? <laughs> this is what you do? Was she naked like that for real? <laughs> what? I was like, Dad, but everybody was in there drawing. And then she left and another lady came, and a dude. Wait, the dude took his clothes off yeah, Dad, that's what artists do. You you ain't going that no more. You ain't doing that no more. You know, so it was that 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 push pull with him being a Pentecostal preacher. You know what I'm saying? That here's your oldest son that and in your question that's supposed to kind of follow your legacy. Because my granddad, Elder Emmett Robinson Senior, was a pastor and a preacher, going to all the country churches in Georgia yeah. when I was growing up. Then my dad was a preacher. Once, you know, he was a drug addict and drug dealer, but then he changed and wow. preacher. And then he was a preacher. He's still a preacher to this day around Augusta and around Georgia, you know, with the same organization. So they thinking I'm going to follow their footsteps. But here I am over here, you know, drawing yeah. new paint people. <laughs> what was the effect of that? I mean, that's a hell of a thing for your dad to have gone through. I mean, that kind of 180. Yeah. What was yeah. that like? I mean, did, did that make it? Was he the kind of person that because of his story and because of the change that he had made, that he was like, he was not going to tolerate one deviation from a religious life because he knew how important that was to him? Or right. was it the kind of thing that he was like, oh, hey, I've walked on that side, so I can mm -hmm. see what you're doing. Like, I, I'm, I, it's not like he was tunnel vision. He knew the other side of other right. aspects of life and was like, OK, got it. You know, I and, and he had some ability to ultimately process what you were doing. Right. Uh, it was. It started out, yes, it was very like, no, you're not doing this. You're not doing that. Mm. Like, you know, you, you, dad, can I play basketball? No, you can't wear shorts. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Wow. You wow. know, 
Dad, yeah. I'm running track. I ain't coming to see you running your underwear. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I mean, people used wow. to wonder why I was so in shape. I used to have to run home from football practice and he wouldn't come pick me up. You know, it was really, we had that kind of relationship growing up. You know, it was really that straight and narrow, but it got to a point where it, he became more, uh, I, you know, we had more kids and we had my, my brothers and my sister. And it was like, um, well, you're old enough now. That's between you and God. Like, whatever you do, you know, you just, you got to, you know, give an account to him, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So he basically left me to my own devices. Okay. And um, I started doing more. I mean, I was the guy that showed up to football practice with a baby blue sweater on and penny loafers and an art portfolio. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> you know, so I, that just that just what I always did. But it did create that kind of thing with us. And then I know when I told him I was going into the Navy, he was upset. He was upset at me for a while because, you know, he wanted me to go play football or whatever. And uh, Because he wanted you to go to college. Yeah, he wanted me to go to college for football, you know. And uh, then it then he, it changed, you know. He he, I always mess with him now. Like he just told me maybe, maybe nine years ago. So maybe with thirty nine, forty, you know, eight nine years ago, I finally understand what you do. I like really, Dad. Really? <laughs> wow, wow. But we have a great relationship, but that yeah. was just that time. That was just sure. We, sure. That's, all, that's all he knew. I mean, you come from being one of the biggest drug dealers in the Cab County, then kicked out of every school in the Cab County, and Beat, hit the beat the principal with a mini baseball Atlanta Braves bat, and you know that was my dad. So now here's a short story. I didn't know who he was like that. So when I used to go stay at my grandmother in Scottsdale, Georgia, the church that they went to was right across the street. So the bishop of the church had a son that was in a wheelchair. So he was like, "Young Robinson, you know, take care of Pepper while I'm, you know, while I'm at work with her." I go knock on the little window. And the son would roll up. He was like, hey, go there. You know, back then, kids go get the, the cigarettes and the alcohol. Yeah, you know, yeah. Whatever. So I go down the street. And as I'm walking, there's guys on the corner. There's women, you know, women, you know. Yeah, right, right. And I'll be walking. And the guy would walk up to me like, hey, young fellow, young, young blood, what you doing? And somebody on the porch like, hey, y'all, that's Junior's boy. Oh, my. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then I would go to the store, come back, or I'd be at the basketball court playing ball. Somebody would start acting crazy. People get in a fight. I'm walking around. And right. they, what are you doing? With it? Hey, y'all, that's Junior's boy. Oh, oh, my bad, my bad, my bad. Right? And no idea until we got older. And I started, he started telling me stories about all those people that lived there. Like he was the neighborhood drug dealer. He was the biggest drug. So people really remember him from his wow. crazy days. And they knew wow. I was his oldest son. I had no idea why people wouldn't let me go places or. I would get to do stuff and they would just walk away and leave me alone. I hadn't, but I found out how serious it was. He would tell us some stories as we grew up, but I always give him credit. And I always say, because when we, when we started, he, he overdosed a couple of times, almost he died. Um, but he gave all that up when he had, he, you know, you go from making $10,000 a week, yeah. you know, back then yeah. to being a garbage man, working in a wastewater treatment plant, wow. he had like four or five jobs. Wow. Just giving it up for us. So even though we were poor, the house we lived in, they had rats and no lights and no running water and all that, he did it because he got married. So when we got older, we recognized, I guess, going back to your original point, that's where the hustle and the grind come from as his oldest son. Like, that's all I knew. That's all I seen my dad do. He Good and bad. That's all I knew. What's the residual effect? I mean, from mm-hmm. a grandfather that was a preacher uh-huh. and your dad doing what he did. Yeah. 
how did, how else did that rub off on you? I mean, besides just how it intersected with the art and, and, you know, they're kind of mm -hmm. learning to understand what it is you do. Yeah. What's the residual effect of that though? I mean, is that, and I'm, I'm not trying to play amateur psychiatrist, but is, no, it, no, no, is no. that kind of where the, where the helping people comes from that you're yes, naturally 100%. programmed? Yeah. One, I remember we had no food sometimes. I mean, we eat to this day, my wife last got, I'm not eating lima beans. <laughs> I, don't like, I don't like cooked carrots. I'm not eating rutabagas and squash. God, we ate so much of it. You know, you had pinto beans and cornbread for a week or lima beans and carrots for a week, right? And that's what we're eating. But I would see my dad take money, go buy another family food, go pick them up, take them to Atlanta, the church, 45 minutes, come all the way back to Dallas, Georgia, pick us up, take us to church, take them home, come back. That's what he did. That's all I ever seen him do, help people. As all I've ever seen him do is try to, you know, try to just give people the best and stuff like that. So, yeah, 100 percent. That became an just an innate, not even a second thought of yeah. just giving and just helping. So when you were going into, let's say, your senior year at high school, what did you think you were going to do? What I mean, yeah, <laughs> where was your head at at that point? Going to school for art. I, I I wanted to go to Pratt Institute of Art, SCAD in Savannah. There was this one art college in Maine. It was one on the beach in Florida. I was like, ooh, the beach, you know. <laughs> and I ended up going to Pratt Institute of Art in New York um, for a senior visit. I was the president of the National Art Honor Society at my school. And I my dad couldn't afford to send me. It was $800. And I didn't even tell him I had an opportunity to go. And I told my teacher I couldn't go. And uh, I'll never forget Miss Miss Willis. She came in and she was like, she was crying. She's like, somebody paid and you can go. And I went, we stayed at the YMCA hotel and I got to see practice to the art. I got to see artists in the big school in New York. And I was on the elevator and a good friend of mine to this day, Rennie Dodd. She was a, I think she was a sophomore at the time. She gave me an envelope with money in it. And I was like, what's this? She said, my mom said, if you need anything else, let me know. Where her mom, uh, Bobby Dodd Stadium, Georgia Tech. That was, she was Bobby Dodd's uh, daughter. So that was Rennie's his great granddaughter or granddaughter. So, um, yeah, they, she paid for my way. Rennie gave me money, you know, and I got, so I just assumed I had stacks of art college letters and, you know, I, I had all kind of things like that. I just assumed and that's what I wanted to do. And I have no idea now, hindsight 2020, but that day when I walked in the library and that recruiter, William, Said, hey, you want to take this test? <laughs> and I said, what test is this? ASVAB. What's that for? Um, the Navy. Yeah, I was like, I want to take that. You know, and we had this. I was like, okay, I'll take it. You know, and I took it and I got up. I was like, all right, man. He was like, no, you got to finish. I said, I'm done. He said, that's not possible. I love what you mean. He said, you just finished an hour and a half before anybody's ever finished here. I'm like, I'm done. You know, I gave the test, walked out, turned out made pretty high on it in the 80s or whatever. And, uh, and he, from that point, I don't, like I said, hindsight being 2020, maybe I was running. Maybe I know, you know, the school I grew up in, Paulding County, Georgia, it was maybe less than 100 African-Americans in the school, 1,400 kids, a lot of, you know, racism, prejudice stuff. The council didn't really help us a lot. Stuff, that, stuff like that actually happened, and I didn't go to them. You didn't really get good advice. I had no idea what to do. My parents didn't know anything. Like, they didn't tell me what to do with school. So it almost became like the Navy was just, 
easy way to leave. It's just too easy. Yeah. To get away from, you know, my dad and get away from the control and get away. You know, the recruiters telling you about all these trips and overseas and all this money you're going to make. And I was like, oh, you know what I'm saying? But wait, am I hearing that right, though? You could have gone to Pratt. Yeah, I could. I had stacks of letters from from art colleges. I remember walking graduation. I had a rainbow tassel. And I heard people saying, who is he? Why does he have a rainbow? I was Because it was National Art Honor Society. And I found out from an art teacher that I had won like a bunch of local scholarships for art. But because I chose to go to Navy, they had to give it to other people. I had no idea. I had no idea what to do or how to do it. So it was it was basically because you just couldn't see the breadcrumbs to get right. you to Pratt. You went right. to the Navy. Right. I had no idea. Wow. how. I and I know like if my dad ain't got 800 to send me here for this trip. How's he going to pay for the rest and food and pay for how's he going to pay for school? Like, I don't know. How's he going to do it? You know, we don't have the resources for. And then I didn't trust them that these people are going to pay for everything. And I'm going to get up here and be starving. And you right, know what I'm saying? Right. So right. Maybe just became that way of, OK, well, I get to leave. I get some food. Uh, <laughs> I get to travel. <laughs> yeah. And so you, and your dad was disappointed that you went to the Navy, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, he was disappointed for a while, and then uh, you know he got over it. You know, we 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 made it through it. And how did you feel now when you went to basic? What was that like? Were you like, was, oh motherfucker, what did I do to myself? I, or were you like, you know, oh no, this feels good? It was a freedom because I was already yeah. disciplined. I was already disciplined. I was already. I'm the oldest of eight, so when they would go to those little country churches, I was cooking for my brothers and getting spankings because they were sneaking out the house. So I was taking spankings for them. So I was already had that. Leadership thing. Used to mass punishment. Yeah, you used right. to all that used to stuff. Mass yeah. Punishment. Yeah. Yeah. So I got in trouble in boot camp for laughing all the time because it just didn't affect me what they yeah. were doing. Yeah. So they, you know, I'm gonna do this to your mom and your girlfriend. I'll <laughs> take this, do this, and I'll be like, <laughs> Robinson, give me 50. You know what I'm saying? And and I just that was just my attitude. Were you good? Did you, yep. were you like, Hey, I'm, I'm one of the best. Like you're looking around your oh, peer yeah. group and going, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, I'm- oh yeah. 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 That competition thing. Oh yeah. That yeah. competition thing kicked in. It always kicked in. So, oh yeah. I, yeah. My bread, but gotta be crazy. Even when I went to my ships, if my wife was here right now, my wife was on my, my wife now was actually met on my first ship. She was on the my, USS Mount Baker. And she always told like, yeah, every time I seen him, his pants was creasy, had shiny boots and dungaree shirt. Cause my dad was a pastor. So when I stole clothes from him to go to school, I'm going to school with sweaters and kooky sweaters and ties and stuff the other guys at school ain't wearing. First time I came home from boot camp and to my mom, I had on jeans, baggy, baggy jeans and a baggy jean coat with this hat that said G-Love airbrushed on it. She was like, what happened to you? (laughs) She had never really seen me wear jeans. She had never really seen me dress like that. You're bigger. You're more muscular. Bro. What happened to you? <laughs> yeah. How did you feel? Did you feel like like you'd really separated from the family? Did you feel like you were your own man at that point? I felt like um, Robin Hood and Robin Hood mixed with uh, what's the guy uh, like um, like the pop Piper or something, because I was sending my mom $50 a month. And whenever I went home, I would spend my whole check and buy my brother's shoes, make sure they played basketball. And so it was that kind of feeling where I got money. Mm, yeah. You know, it wasn't a lot, but to me, it was a lot. So when people were complaining, so I'm like, what? I got $800? You know? Yeah. <laughs> so it was a lot to me because I never had it. I never, 
for whatever reason, in high school, I applied for so many jobs. I never got a job. I applied for Captain D's and da 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 da. I never got hired, but I always made money because of my artwork. I always, you know, made money here and there. Right. Wow. And um, so it was just one of those things where I had no idea what I was doing, but I was doing it. Wait, that's crazy. You never could get a job during high school? I never worked at a place in high school, ever. I've never had – the Navy was my first government check. I always tell people that. I never had a job. I We lived in Smyrna, what was more city. And I applied at Captain D's, McDonald's, the local grocery store. I, I never got a job. Never got hired. I have no. I mean, I in retrospect, no why? Yeah, I mean that. There's. I, I cannot even explain. Crazy. It is. Wow. It, it is wow. crazy to think back on it. But I always made money, like, um, like I said, selling artwork yeah. or doing something. And then I had it. You know, once again, my dad being who he was and picking up some of them traits. I in sixth grade, I began stealing stuff. So I had that little thing going on where. I wasn't strong arming nobody, no weapons, but I was so brainiac, like Ocean's 13. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, yeah. You know, I, was, I was, you know, stealing a little money, little things here and there. And the dark side of entrepreneurialism. Yeah, 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 yeah. right. On, he, on Sunday mornings, he's like, he come in my room, he's like, you going to, y'all going to church there? But now, uh, and I know what he wanted. I'm like, money's on the dresser. And he would get like $20 or $30 so he'd have gas money. I'd give my mom money. Uh, and they just assumed that I was making from the art, but I was stealing money and different things here and there. But no, wow. never any drugs, never any, like I said, no, like, you know, weapons or beat nobody up. It was just a very calculated, like, that's the only way I can think of. Ocean's 12, 13 type plot and know yeah. where the camera's at, know where this at, know who's the undercover cop walking around in the store, do what you got to do and leave. Yeah, You know, yeah, and yeah, that yeah. went all the way through high school, all the way to the boot camp. And so in the Navy, now with this big life change first off what's happening with the art or is mm -hmm. that just totally out of your purview are you like hey i'm this now or is there a part of you that's still looking for an artistic outlet i ain't have to look too far because they all it just literally to this day it always finds me i don't care uh -huh. if i try to run hide not do it uh -huh. and i remember in boot camp i was in i-094 and one day they was like we gotta do a company flag anybody know how to do art I know how to do art. What do you need? Uh, some acrylic paint, some brushes, and what can I do? What do you want to do? You got Saturday to do it. They took me to this little room, brought me some McDonald's and some paint. We'll be back. Came back. I had painted this 3D Navy sailor with ripped six-pack standing over a pier with the pier on fire, 0943. Uh. It was like, what? And, you know, we marching next week. Yeah. We're going to the galley, and one day... Company Hawk, we all. Who painted that flag? Robinson did, sir. Robinson front centers. I run up there, you know, you know. You painted this, sir, yes, sir. You call yourself an artist or something? You're a free thinker? You know how they start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hippie? Your daddy and mama's hippie. You know, kind of you know? I sir, no, sir. I just paint, you know. But they came to my company that night, and for the next four weeks, Every weekend, I had walking privileges. I would go to this building. Wow. Other, other company commanders would bring these flags. I painted maybe 10 flags in Orlando in boot camp for all the other companies. What was your rating? What was your job? I was, you know, deck seaman when you first go in. I got tired of hanging over the side of the ship and painting. Um, but then I went to engineering to IC, so I was IC. What is that? Communication. Tier communications. Oh, okay. We're up all the phones, all the sound power alarms, bilge 
the flooding systems, sprinkler alarms, all that stuff. You know, my first ship to Mount Baker was an ammunition supply ship. So, you know, you're laying on top of 10,000 pound bombs with no metal on it and calibrating the, uh, the, the, the heat sensor above you and, you know, all that oh, kind of Jesus. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, well, that was my first how did job. How did that work then? Did you pick the rating or did they tell you, hey, this is what you're going to do? Well, I had no idea how the Navy worked. So when I went in, of course, they just put me in debt. So when I went to the ship, the, I remember I got down on a Sunday in Charleston. And Sunday evening, I was hanging over the side of the ship playing the anchor. Uh, so I did that a couple of years, about about a year or two, and I was like, ah, I don't like this, and yeah. and I it wasn't as technical as I liked, and all that kind of thing. And I seen these people that was messing with the wires and the phone. I was like, what do y'all do? And uh, now back to what you said about art. I really wanted to be an illustrated draftsman, a DM, but they only had one billet on the ship, and there was not a lot of billets for illustrated draftsmen in the Navy. So they told me I had to build a portfolio. So while I was in deck. Even while I was I see mm. I was just doing building this portfolio and I never forget like the lady wasn't really trying to help me because you know it's only one building on the ship and my art was better than hers, you know. And I just I never turned the portfolio in, never finished I finished it, but I just gave once again one of them not knowing what to do, just gave up, you know, and just said, Well, I already know how to do this, I'm already doing art. Yeah, yeah. And I just go do this right here. So I went into engineering into IC. Did you think it was going to be a career at that point? It was probably 50-50 because I liked it. My uncle was in the Marines. One of my other uncles in the, in the Army. So I, my grandfather, my great, my grandfather on my mom's side was um, in the Army. So I you know, knew veterans, knew about it. But it was always that pull. It was always that other side where, you know, we go to Italy or Spain. I'm walking the streets by myself, going to these galleries and just walking mm-hmm. in art studios. And I remember in Dubai, I found this art store and bought these art supplies. I'm standing at the fountain, drawing pictures and people crowding around me, trying to give me money. It's, it just, I just always had that other side that I couldn't run from. So I thought I would be in there if I found the right job. But even Later, as I did stuff for the Navy and, you know, I became military police officer, I was doing a painting, finding a place in Charleston, taking that painting, getting prints made of it, selling prints to the other police officers and designing T-shirts. I just always did it. It was just always there. Well, it's funny. It's like it's like your art is never divorced from your business sense. It seems like right. It's like right. every time it's like you're you're never content to just do it for yourself. Right. You're trying to get it out there. You're always you've always been trying right. to push it in people's hands. That's incredible. And that's a really I, I think there's a yeah, there's a really um I think rare quality. I think there's uh-huh. did you uh, let me ask about that actually. Did mm-hmm. you was art therapeutic for you or was it fun? Yes. Was it in, was Both. it just okay, all right. It's it's fun. But then right now, I can tell when I haven't did something or created in a while. And just the way my brain where I hope oh, I need to go create, you know. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, it gave me that escape. Totally right. It gave me the escape from whatever because I could always get in that. But then also, just like if my wife was here, she always, we had different experiences in the military. <laughs> he, he got away with stuff, you know. Uh, I didn't have to do the, the gas chamber in boot camp. I didn't, I didn't go clean guns. I didn't do... They would always call me to go do flags to do art. When the other oh, class went, I would wow. go do stuff. We went to Gitmo the first time to Cuba on the Mount Baker, and Command Master Chief says, "When we go to Cuba, I want you to paint a uh, mural on my door." All right. So when I get off watch, 
No, I need you to pay. Yes, sir. When I get off watch, I'll tell it. No, you don't get it. That's all you're going to do. Um, I see one ain't going to be too happy with that. Engineering ain't going to be too happy with that because we got a watch schedule. I'm the command master chief. Sure enough, we pull out, go on the way. My IC1, he comes down now. He was like, I don't know who you know, what you talk to here. And they was all mad at me. I'm like, I didn't do anything for that two weeks. Reveille, I get up, go eat breakfast, go put my dungarees on, go sit in front of Command Massachusetts, draw, paint for two weeks. That's all I did. And then at the end of it, when we pull back in Portland, Charleston, he shakes my hand, gives me $175, and gives me like a three-day Liberty Pass. So we went to Italy. I, we pulled in the Naples, I think it was, and I got a bag of trash where I really got my clothes in there, and I'm walking off the brow and officer deck like, Robson, where you going? I'm going to take the trash, sir. He was like, you going to take the trash? Sir, yes, sir. I handed him the uh, Liberty chair. He was like, Command Master Chief, huh? Yeah. Carry on, son. You know, and it, and so it was always like that. I wasn't looking forward to trying. It just happened. It just always came. Uh, I mean, I had to watch myself to this day. Me and my wife laugh about it. The girls would come down to the ship, down to the icy shop when we pulled in. The girls would come down in their uh, Liberty clothes. Be like, Robson, can you draw a tattoo on me? I mean, I was drawing tattoos on arms, on breasts and thighs and wow. their boyfriends be standing right there. And I'm drawing like a whatever and getting $25, $50 just so they can have something look cool or whatever. They were going about their business and it just always was like that. So what's the intersection of therapy and commercialism for uh-huh. you in art? Because if you're because it seems like like there, I mean, you're uh-huh. getting tasked out. I mean, there's an assignment. Right. So you're you're doing it. Is it was that a different experience for you than what you're doing left to your own devices where you're like going, hey, this is for me. And then yeah. if you guys like it, awesome, but this is really for me. Right. It, it is I'll say even when I'm doing something for somebody, that's 25% of the the same mood and same emotion. But definitely when I'm doing it for myself, like that's why now I always tell people, they'll be like, What's your style? What's your focus? What's your niche? Creativity. Well, what do you do? Create? Uh, what kind of art do you do? whatever I feel like doing anymore, you know, because it's literally like that. I I never was limited to painting or photography or acrylics. It was just everyone had their own feel and their own mood, their own. Like now I just literally last night, I just bought a, um, uh, I think it's Nexus keyboard. Cause I was like, I need an outlet. I'm doing business. I'm doing art, but I don't have a hobby because everything I do technically ends up turning into business. (laughs) You're turning, turning into art. Yeah. And I always used to make music for my own commercials or make music. So I was like, oh, I'm going to get back into music. I downloaded the reason. Bought the... So even if I do that, technically, I'm still doing it because I love, you know, I create my own music. Yeah. But it's an outlet from the normal thing that I'm doing every day. So each thing has its own therapeutic feel. So I think that's why I'm able to work with everybody, because I can look at what you're doing and find that story or that therapy in that, because I like all of it. We're as you you know, some people don't. They just I can't I don't I don't like abstracts. I don't like portraits. If right. you're not painting from a model, you're not an artist. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's, yeah, it's yeah, right. different caveats right. that but for me, hey, look, whatever makes you feel good, whatever you're creating, do what you do, you know, enjoy. Well, I mean, your art, as far as I know, and correct me on this if I'm wrong, uh-huh. but it seems like when left to your own devices, you do like abstract work and you do have a very distinct style. Right. And right. it doesn't mean you don't can't do other stuff. Right. Exactly. Do other stuff, exactly. But it's just that 
Yeah, right. if left to your own devices, like the, the your backdrop right there. I mean, that's yeah. you, right? I mean, that's that's yeah. what I've seen of you. Right. I if left to my own devices, I'm gonna do one of two things. I'm gonna paint abstracts, or it's gonna be sexy. <laughs> one of the two. It's gonna be a huge painting of some stilettos, or like my the series that got me my first major show, Simply So Sexy. You're talking about 48 by 60 news on a big piece of aluminum. You know, all of them was huge. It's going to be that or it's going to be abstracts. And those are two places that it'll it'll go to one of those two right there. And what? people always ask, like, yeah, yeah, how do you do that? But you do abstracts. But how does a bird art San Diego contemporary art fair? My first major show. I'm standing there, you know, ATR fine art. Got my suit in my pocket square. And I'm chilling, you know, and VIP night. Bono is there and people. Wow. The, the yeah. Secretary of Navy is there and it's amazing. But over here, you got Picasso's over there. You got Warhol's and galleries from Russia and Mexico. And then me. So it was like for me. And then I was the only black artist there out of that entire fair building. They had some people, you know, black artists inside of booths that galleries. Had, but the person standing there, I was the only one. So even in that, you know. So people walk by this this group of older ladies walk by minute about three or four times. Finally they stop. Sonny, when is the artist coming? <laughs> and I was like, oh man, I'm 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 Angelo. You're not Italian. You're not Spanish. <laughs> I was like, yes, ma'am, I am. And one of them picked up my marketing material and they was like, what how does a military guy, policeman, burly guy like you such beautiful feminine things like this, you know? I was like, only way I can tell you, ma'am, is I was raised by my grandmothers. I got four daughters. And one day, one of my daughters called me. My oldest daughter called me and said, Dad, you're in the military. Uh, what I need to do to get a bigger butt? I was like, what? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I was like, now, thank you for calling me and not calling some guy. You know, I appreciate you, you know. <laughs> but it made me really think. And I started paying. And as an artist and creative, I know it. But the average person don't think that the stuff on the magazines is photoshopped and changed and the the movies has changed those most women they don't look like that you know right and i told her i was like no god gave you what you need you're beautiful the way you are so i so it started that whole process of when you see simply so sexy it says simply being yourself is beautiful enough you don't need bigger lips bigger butt bigger whatever whatever god blessed you with is beautiful enough you're beautiful the way he created you that's what started that series going back to your question there goes the spiritual side there goes the helping side, even though it's this huge nude piece that I actually took the nude photos myself, but it's this healing. I've had women stand in front of it and cry and call their daughters and they're both crying and, oh my God, I feel beautiful. And it's the craziest reactions. I, I mean, and that's what made my dad say that, that what I told you. Yeah, yeah. I seen that one day at, at a show and this lady was just boohooing and she was like, oh my God, like people picking me and just right here lets me know God loves me and he gave me, I am beautiful and I can be, I don't have to listen. And he, and he was like, wow, that reaction is what, cause in his mind, I'm pretty sure he's thinking when he's in the pulpit and he's, you know, spent scriptures mm -hmm. and doing what he's doing, mm -hmm. getting that reaction from people of healing and crying and mm -hmm. God doing, here's a lady standing in pieces of this artwork getting the same thing. And that's what gave that change right there. Of Wow. Like she's standing in front of this big nude piece of work. <laughs> she's crying. Wow. And like, oh my God, I feel beautiful. And 
thank you, Jesus, and God created me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Wow. That's happened wow. to so many shows. And so no, even my abstracts, people, oh my God, it just pulls me, makes me feel this way. Mm-hmm. So as you know, whatever you write, you're putting a piece of yourself in it. Even before mm-hmm. you perform it, mm-hmm. it's a piece of you. I always say the same thing with my stuff where that's where that separation, to answer your question, that's where that separation comes. Yeah, I want to sell it, but everything I do has that in it. Yeah. That, that, that that thing, that thing that makes you like, I don't like abstract, but something about yours. Like, what is it? Like, what, why is this pulling me? Like, what is this? And it, all of my work has that. What is that, do you think? Because I agree. I mean, your abstract stuff blew me away. I mean, that was yeah, thank you. like, I mean, I mean, like, honestly, I mean, you know, I'm probably going to, I'm probably repeating myself from what I'll say in the intro, but I mean, right. your your work really does stand out. But, uh, uh, and I can sit back as a layman and go, okay, the colors, right, the scope, the size, the boldness, like there's a lot of qualities, a lot of adjectives I could put with it. Right. But, but the fact that it's so that there's a consistent level of excellence between all of them and and not just excellence, but right. interest and intrigue and fascination where it's um, I'm sorry, I'm going to ask this. I'm going to take the scenic yeah. route to this question. But I had a girlfriend years ago. Who was a um, a garden designer mm-hmm. and she said, uh, and I, I you know, I've been to a million of her. She do rooftop gardens for celebrities in New York. Uh-huh. And and she'd always design them and have all this stuff. And I was just like, how come I never see you with roses? There's never a rose around. Well, how about you throw right. like like the most beautiful flower uh, known to man up there? And she's like, you'll get tired of it within a week. And she's like, it's right. too obvious. And she's like, right. it needs layering. And she's like, what I do is I do layers because it you'll like it the first time you see it, and you will love it more and more and more as right. the years go on. And and I and I've always. I've thought of that so many times in so many different contexts, but with yours, I feel the same way. It blows you away. It captures your interest, but you also don't get tired of it. And I'm like, there's something going on there where, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's from in here, from the heart. I don't know if it's technical. I don't know where the marriage of both are. I don't know how that comes out on the, on the, on the canvas. Gotcha. So like you said, it's a combination. The technical side comes from, I use all kind of stuff. Like I, I probably use stuff that ain't supposed to go together, as people say. Mm. But because I'm thinking the end result and the end feeling. So if mm. this newspaper in here and this ink is going to make it look like a drop, but then this abstract splash. So even when I'm throwing paint, I'm actually thinking I needed to curve that way. I need this splotch to be there. And there are some randomness in it, but in mm. general, I've already thought, okay, I got to stop right there because now I got to go get the frog tape, tape it because I need some standard in here and I need this line and that goes that way. Now your eyes going to go that way, but then it's going to get pulled back. But, you know, so it's this whole dance is going on in my head as I'm doing it that I often have to tell my wife, just come back in two weeks. Because <laughs> you're like, did you mess up? Yeah. yeah. Like, what are you doing? Uh, yeah. I have these that I'm outside. She can, I'm throwing ashes from the fireplace in there. I'm talking about, I've just got ashes just throwing ashes and then I'm spray painting and ashes and she was like what the hell are you doing you know, I'm like look don't, don't worry yeah. about it it's called the gift of it's called the, the golden rule the gift of love she was like just come back she comes back there's this texture and movement but there's this golden heart in the middle and the mm. gold is dripping through the ashes and there's different shades of gold and she was like 
It looks like you can put your, so how did you, so what? I said, because I see the end result and I see all 50 layers in between. But the difference is, we were talking about the process earlier, I'm not concerned about the end result. Because yeah. it's, it's, I'll tell people this, it's anticlimactic when, for me when I finish. Yeah. The process is the fun part for me. Like, and I think that, oh, that's, I think that's where the difference is sometimes with what you're asking the question about why it feels like that. Yeah. But there, are, there are artists and creators, as you know, writers, wherever the creativity is, mm-hmm. about that end thing. Because I got to do the end thing and I got to sell it or I'm going to make them feel this. For me is, oh, yeah, it's going to be an end thing. But this process right here, I'm going to put all this in there because whatever this is going to make that person, I don't know what it is, but I know it's supposed to go there. And so people say, how do you know when your stuff is finished? When I got to think about it, when I start thinking about what I'm doing, I'm done. So uh-huh. the layers and the abstracts and no matter what it is for me, it like this one, I finished it. I had it in a gallery, but I wasn't, it wasn't, eh, it didn't have that, eh, that thing. And, and I just left it in the studio. I walked, walked. One day I'm walking by and I was like, oh, I know what it is. It's missing some dots right there and this. And that's what I seen. So I just I don't question it. Done. Now, also, when people. Huh. And it makes you pause. So my art statement says every viewer is supposed to have a reaction to my work, whether it's physical, spiritual or whether you love it or hate it. I don't care if you don't like it, but you had a reaction to me. The worst reaction is if a person says, man. Eh. Right, uh, right, and, and you're gonna get that every now and again. But I prefer if you're like, man, I hate abstract. Oh, really? What you hate about this one? It just don't make me feel right. Like my big, my biggest, right. simply so sexy piece. This older lady said, "I get it, Angelo, but she looks demonic." <laughs> I was like, "What do you mean?" Yeah. She's like, she's curled like this, and she's getting up, and her shoulders up, and it just looks demonic to me. Then it's so huge, her nipples is hanging right in my face, and it's, <laughs> it's just. I said, but did you read it? She's like, no. I said, well, she was sitting on the floor after the shower and she just got up off the floor. And as she's getting up, she realizes like, oh my God, like I'm, I'm strong. I feel better. Man. I feel good. So that this, this photo, this capture is that moment when she realized she was beautiful and she's getting up kind of admiring herself. And she was like, oh, I see it. Oh my God, you're right. She's like, I see where the muscle goes in this. Oh my God, you know, and she's like, yeah. okay, I get it. I'm sorry. I said, no, no apologies, you know, whatever. But I said, that's what I do. I don't, it's, it's, that's how I think. It's a whole story to everything I do. I mean, I can tell you a story about every painting. It's not just splash, 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 splash. Right. Oh, it's the solstice of the winter storm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The art speak, you know, it's not yeah. art speak. Is I can tell you what it is. I can plus, tell you. Plus, you don't have the turtlenecks for that speech anyway, right? <laughs> exactly. Wait, but where? So, where do you start from? What's your What's your launching point? What's your inspiration? Is it the process? Is it going? Hey, what happens if I technically start doing this? Or do you start generally with an idea? Is it? Is there a concept? Is there a feeling? Is there a motion that gets you to put paint to? If it's to, a series, if it's a series, is a is a process, is a feeling. But if it's just in general, I'm just starting. I'm literally walking in like, okay, what I got over here? What do I have? Let's see what we, it's a child. I like challenging myself. So every piece starts out as a challenge. Like, what can I do with this gotcha. one? That I can just, but the end result is going to look like what I do. But what is that challenge? Because to me, that's, that's the creative side of it. Cause I mean, I get bored. I would get so bored. Sure. I, sure. I, I, I met an artist years ago in Charleston and he, oh, I forgot his name. I hate, I forgot his name, but he's known as the duck painter. 
Like he, his ducks are on like stamps and the United States coins and that they can sell for hundred fifty thousand dollars for whatever. Wow. But he has some of the most beautiful landscapes and the most beautiful art, but they can't sell it because everybody wants a duck. And he said, I've been painting ducks for 35 years. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and so yeah. every major artist I've ever met has always told me, just do what, keep doing what, I wish I could do what you do. And I'm looking at them like, dude, you got $100,000, $500,000 paintings, $10,000 prints. Because at that time, I'm thinking like that. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm in my 60s. Like, when you get 65 because of you do, oh, my God, you're going to be so amazing. And so I always hold on to that when I get to that point where it's like, Maybe I do need to focus. Maybe I do need to. But then you meet somebody and they're like, oh, my God, I wish I could do all this stuff you do. It's so fun. It's so wonderful. And you're doing business and you're doing this. Then I'm like, yeah. you know then I have to be like, you know, I'm sorry, baby Jesus. I'm sorry. My fault. I didn't mean to complain. <laughs> you know right. Right. So it, what's funny, because your reels um, are almost always if they're not like you buying art supplies, but it is, it's always about the process. It's always yeah. about like, yeah. I always see you actually doing stuff and you want to show people yeah. how the sausage is made. It's never right. just like, you never get like a, a shot of like your artwork just hanging there. You never get that. Right. You get, you just, you're watching you doing your work. And right. it seems like that is what's turning you on. Like that, that is the juice, yes. right? I, as a creative, like when I go to your page and I see the people talking and they're doing stuff, I'm like, Oh, this is cool. This is interesting. You know, Oh, I go to my friend's page and he's spinning a pot. No, as they say, no disrespect means disrespect is coming. (laughs) 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 No disrespect. But to me, as a creative, I get turned off when I go to people I I respect, I love, I want to see their art. And you go to their page and like you say, it's just with them in the brush. And I, right. I've had people literally tell me, you shouldn't show your mess ups and you shouldn't show your process. And galleries don't want to see a clean page. And once again, I'm not looking. If you like what I do, you're going to like all that I do. Yeah. I'm not, my yeah. page is not just going to be painting, 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 a finished piece on every square. I don't like that because right. to me, who am I inspiring? Who am I touching? Who am I that some lady or some man is sitting, or kid is sitting there and I'm sitting here doing it. Mom, you can't look. He did it. You can do that. Versus if I'm just sitting there like this with the brush, like you're not to me, I'm not, I'm not giving the gift as freely as it was given to me. Now, the other side, the business side, people always ask me, aren't you afraid of people stealing your stuff? Aren't you afraid of someone copying? Mercedes do not worry about BMW. Right. right. Like Donald's Burger King and Wendy's be on the same corner cooking burgers. Right. You no, know, and then you have Freddy's and 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 Steak and Shake. They cooking burgers too. Right. When I mean, uh, Walgreens will build right across the street from CVS. They're not. Why is it that in the creative world we act like we have a patent on acrylics or a patent on abstracts? Or mm-hmm. now I get mm-hmm. there's some if there's some process that you invented, but right. I could think any artist process, my end result is not going to look like theirs because it's theirs. So I don't ever worry about somebody copying me or stealing something. Because as we know, in this age, if somebody want to steal your paintings, I mean, I don't care what kind of watermarks you put on it. Photoshop software, you take it off, do what you're going to do with it. I mean, it just is what it is. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't ever have to worry about that. My thing is, I was given this to give it back to the world and put it out there. And however that comes, then that's how it comes. I always use uh, you guys for an example. I, I, I always tell artists when I talk to them, I don't want to be on Instagram. I said, you know, I had one of my favorite shows this year. And great relationships were built from me putting reels on Instagram. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then, yeah. sorry, I forget her name, but um, she owns the um, the nonprofit um, that helped ladies and they was giving out for babies. And Oh, YIT. Yeah, yeah. Sharon Tony Finch. Yeah. 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 She messaged me before I went there and was telling me her story and journey. How yeah. She was yeah. Before the, you know, injuries, things like that. And it moved me so much. I showed my yeah. wife, it's like, babe, yeah. this is what I do. What I do. Here's a person I never would have met that because I started tagging you guys and she seen it and then she came backwards yeah. and she messaged me and said, thank you for showing and do, I'm going to go paint. And she, about a month later, she sent me, showed me some pictures of some stuff she was doing that she got back into painting. Okay, what if I'm not putting my reels up and doing that? Here's another veteran that went through some traumatic stuff that because they see another veteran, I'm talking about, look, man, my back, my knees, I'd be hurting. Like, I have to crawl out of bed sometimes. I mean, I, you know, it is what it is. But the fact that I'm sitting here, like you said, and I, I love the process, I want to show you my process. She said, I live vicariously through you. Mm. How many people are like her, but yeah. just don't tell me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just don't tell me. Yeah. That, and I get a lot of mail. I meet people and they're, oh man, I see you. I'm like, you'll never click like. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I get it. I get it. You know, but it's so much of that that I think is being lost in this glossy, let me show you this end result gallery. I'm a big time artist. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Versus for me, it's all about, hey guys, look, this what I'm doing. Like, check this out. You know, this, this, hey, I'm about yeah, to go yeah, yeah. this out because to me, that's more engaging. And like you said, you'll be willing to come back to see the end result than if I just put up the end result and you're like, oh, that's cool. That's right. Nice, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, a hundred percent. I want to ask about the accident because yeah. that is, it is just such a jarring, you know, right turn in your life. Yeah. So talk about how that happened and what was okay. going on with that. So my ex had left her Ford Probe, 94 brand new Ford Probe with me and my friend. And uh, so one Sunday morning, we're going to duty, we're going in Charleston on the main base, USS Mount Bacon, we're headed to duty and he's driving and we both halfway sleep, been at the club all night on Saturday. Uh, <laughs> and we get halfway down the road and we're, and we're coming to a red light and I'm looking ahead and there's a car there and, and I'm looking, then I realize we're going a pretty fast pretty brisk pace you know yeah yeah yeah. and i look hey man you gonna slow down and he's like yeah I'm, and i look again and it's too late boom we hit him but because i was turned this way looking to ask him if we're gonna hit and i did like that instead of like this so when i did like that the airbag came out and hit me here in the right side of my face and so all the right side of my face my right eye all this side caught the brunt of the airbag and the chemicals and and I must have passed out because I think I came to her. I remember my face felt like it was on fire. I crawled out of the car. I'm screaming, laying on the ground, thinking I'm on fire. Come to find out it was just the chemicals that packed the airbag. So the ambulance lady come. And I'll never forget this. I don't know how I remember this, but Mr. Robinson, what hospital do you want to go to? I don't care. You know? <laughs> <laughs> just, just so happened the Navy Hospital in Charleston was like literally two miles down the road. So he took me down to Navy Hospital and, and they was they said they was holding me down and trying to wash the stuff out my eyes and my face. Must have passed out again. And I get to the room and when I open my eyes again, can't see anything. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, so you know you rub them. And, out of either yeah. eye. You could see anything out of either, either eye. eye. I can't see anything. But then I, they said, don't touch your face, don't touch your face. Uh, you know, your skin was burned. And so I seen pictures later where all the skin on this side of my face, a lot of it was burned off. 
and uh, I had like, yeah, I had like white splotches on my ear and all right here. My eyes was green, blue, and purple, and it was crazy. And um, yeah, so I start mashing a button, and the nurse comes like, "What?" I'm like, "I can't see." She was like, "Mr. Robinson," I was like, "No, I cannot see." Right? And she she did. I don't know what she did, but she's like, "Oh my god, I'll be right back." <laughs> and so she leaves. Down here, some doctor, whatever his name was, comes in. Oh my god, <laughs> we got to go downstairs. So they take me downstairs. And I'm sitting there, feel like forever, and I and I hear like a bunch of voices. I said, Mr. Robinson, this is Doctor Whoever. I brought my colleagues in, and it was like ten doctors or something. Oh Jesus like, Christ! We've never seen anything like this. Um, well, the blunt force trauma has caused you to go blind. We, it's, your vision is going to come back. We don't know when, and we don't know how much. I'm, that was 1994, so I am nine, twenty years. No, nineteen at the, no twenty at the time. Oh, <laughs> your artist. You, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and you'd been in the Navy how long at that point? I had only been in like the Navy. Like a year or two, right? 94. I got in in 92. So I had only been in like a year and a half, almost Holy two years. Shit. Yeah. And um, so I, that next, that night, I, that day I went blind. And I remember they came in. They were like, Mr. Robson, your drink is at 12. Your hamburger is at 3. Your french fries is at 6. They taught me how to read the clock and find what my food and my drink was. And my friends would come in and be like, hey, Angelo, this is house. Hey, Angelo, this is, you know, whatever. And I, they would dial the phone for me, call my mom. I would listen to the stories and whatever all day. But a whole week, I was blind to Stevie Wonder. Could not see anything. And they would take me every day and be like, hey, it's going to come back. And I remember the day it came back a little bit, it was in black and white. Wow. And everything was blurry. I couldn't tell whether you male or female. So... Just like the military, after the loop, they sent me home to Georgia. So I'm at home with blurry vision, can't see nothing. Everything is blurry. And they said, you just go home and rest, you know, and it'll fade back. I think it took uh, two months to me to totally see in color it to be. And then so I got a crease in my right eye, photophobia in my right eye. That's what my photography company is called, Photophobic Images. Um, so photophobia is like every day, like these are transition glasses I have on because the more light I get in during the day, the bigger the flashes are at night that I see. I see them every day, every day. Colors, purple is like a purple, blue circles going in my right eye. Then wait, my wait. Left you're, saying, you're saying like at nighttime, you'll just yeah. randomly see colors. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of like photophobia. Yeah. And like somebody has like the old school flash camera. Yeah. Like, the best way I can describe, have you ever seen the Daredevil movie with Ben Affleck and Jim McGonagall? Oh. Well, it's the yeah. scene where she's in the rain and the rain is coming down. Okay. And and it gives him an image of her face. Well, when I'm driving or when it's raining, the rearview mirror and the two mirrors right there are like that. I Sometimes my wife, I literally have to duck because it looks like diamonds. It's just the sparkles and it's crazy. And I remember describing that to an officer at the Navy place in Charleston, he cussed me out in his office and said, there is no way you can be seeing that. That is not possible. But I'm an artist, so I drew it for him, what I was seeing. He said, it's not possible. It's not possible. Get out of my effing office. And people heard him. He got a letter in his record. He got in trouble. I, I was so upset because they kept doing that to me. I went back crying. Master Chief, I told Master Chief and you know my lieutenant, they ended up sending me to a specialist that I've uh, seen like... Um, ball players and stuff and he told me that hey you got angular glaucoma you got photophobia 
uh, you're going to always have it. So they, what it was, the pressure had built up. So to this day, every day, I have to put this drop in my right eye to keep the pressure down every night or just once a day, I have to put it in my eye. But it changed my art. It changed, it changed, it, that's why, that's some of why these abstracts and some why some of my work look, the abstracts look the way it looks because the way I see things. And yeah. it gives me like a certain, I don't know, it's just the way when I see it is different. The colors and the way that it moves is it's just the way I see it. And I never would have accepted that until one of those old black church mothers um, and old church. <laughs> I was, you know, down on myself. I used to do, you know, I still could do it. It just take me forever. You know, I call them the academic portraits. You know, you do oh, every yeah. hair, every eye, realistic, realistic. Yeah, paint. yeah, yeah. I used to paint like that. I still could do it, but it just take a long time. Um, and I was, you know, getting down on myself because it was taking me forever to do it. And I was trying to do it. And it would take six months where it used to take me two. And this lady told me one day, son, why are you fighting? And I didn't even know her. She said, son, God told me you're fighting him. I'm like, who are you? You know what I'm saying? But I was grew up in the church. So I knew you respect your elders. And when they right. you know, telling them God, telling them something, you just let them do what they do. Right. And she told me, she said, um, he's giving, giving you a gift with this accident you have. I'm like, how do you know about this accident? You know? And uh, she said, you have a gift, but you're not using it. And he's trying to give you something that is special, but you're trying to still be the old person. You got to let the old artist go, the old person go and be this new person that he's giving you to be. And um, that day I said, OK, let's see. And I started doing more abstracts and doing mixed media pieces. And one thing led to another. And sure, I mean, that was when we're talking later because that accident was 94. I fought that until like, oh my gosh, maybe oh three. Oh wow! Yeah, oh three, oh four. I was, I was still doing art, still doing shows, Holy still shit. doing other things, but I was still trying to be that, you know, that thing. All alone. Once I let it go, now, you know, and when I talk to people, like, well, how did you do that? If I told people how long it take me to do art, they'd be like, what? I did a live piece for. Um, in Hogesville, Georgia, last year, and it was a 60 by 48 canvas, white wow. canvas, in front of the Coca-Cola truck that was having an event. They asked me to come do live painting. And I hear people talking behind me, oh, he's just throwing paint. He's just doing stuff. Right. I can do that, mommy. And I'm laughing to myself, right? They come back an hour later, huh? They come back two hours later, oh my God. Come back three hours later, you was just throwing paint, but it's not muddy. And I can see every color and the drips and the lines. And oh my God, four hours later, they come back. People came back and it was a crowd behind me. It was like, I can't, I can't even fathom how you went from the white canvas. I watch, and the people that were sitting behind me, that had tents that was there all day. said, we watch you just throwing and dripping. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and we was like, he's just going crazy. How did you know that? I was like, I, I, I can see the end result. But I know the in-betweens of how this curve got to go here and this got to go here. And it looks crazy, but the end result, you see it and you know it. And that that is the biggest change or pivot that's ever happened because it led me to doing these things I do now. It led me to doing these abstracts and, and the feel and the mood of them change because now it just has this only way I can describe it is like this interdimensional quality. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, okay, so th this is interesting on a bunch of levels because then Based on that timeline, you started doing art shows mm -hmm. between 94 and 03, though, right? Your work yeah. was actually getting noticed. I mean, not just from Navy yeah. and all that, but like 
you you started to actually have work go. Yeah. But well, I, I was when you look, Burlington Artist League, and I, yeah. So I mean, when you look back on that time period, though, mm-hmm. was your art? I don't want to say any good, but was it? Yeah, yeah. You look back on it now and wince and go, "Hey, I wasn't totally there yet. I hadn't embraced this yet." Or, or were you like, "No, that was really still pretty awesome." And and the difference. I see the fight. I see okay, the struggle. You do? Yeah. I see the struggle because I see these geometric shapes and the colors and this, but it didn't go all the way. I see the mixed media um, portraits, but I didn't. It didn't go to that next mm, yeah. level. You know, I I, I can see it. And I can recognize the fact that it was changing. I started doing assemblages and like mid sculpture type stuff and mixed media photography because I was just seeing it different. It was so fun. I was reading hundreds of art books and watching art videos because everything just looked felt different when I seen it. Now I can say, oh, I can do that piece and that piece. But yeah, I definitely look back on stuff now and be like, huh, yeah, yeah, that looks good. But I didn't take that one because I was fighting to stay in a certain vein. Even now, even now, about to be 49, December 31st, best birthday ever, because y'all all celebrate me. Until 11.59.59, 59, everybody celebrate me. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's freaking but, uh, hilarious. <laughs> but um, it's it's led me up to that point, even now, like I said, about to be 49, that I still have to watch my brain power and my thought process of fighting to say I am an artist versus I'm just a creative and I'm helping people. I'm doing this because you can get caught in that narrative of, oh, I need to be painting or I need to create this many paintings or I need to create this, create this. When I look at it and like, dude, I create more. That show in New York. Oh, my gosh. Before we continue. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I get there. I get the stuff shipped. To this day, those T-shirts never appeared. Don't know what happened to those T-shirts. I don't, there's somebody in New York walking around with a highly designed t-shirt selling for $5 on the corner. <laughs> so I don't know. So that was one thing. My art got there on time. The prints got there on time. But that night they got, I had to sign a number and decoupage the yeah. yeah. I had to do it that night. Then the other pieces came. And when they came, I, I took them out and I had to restructure them and make sure they was right. But that Friday, I went to the mall and I said, I'm going to go eat a good dinner because my wife was fussing at me because I'd just been eating fast food. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get some food. And my brain said, hey, go over there, get a steak, get some food, get this. I'm going to go to the mall for it. I get in the mall. I'm going to save some money. I'm going to go over here and get some of this chicken and get some of this. And I'm eating the, the, the bourbon chicken and the rice and I'm eating, eating. And as I'm walking and as I bite into it, and I said, look down and the pieces look kind of raw, right? It looked funny. It tasted funny. I said, I ain't going to eat no more of this. That night, Oh my gosh, the worst food poisoning. Uh, man, I was in cold sweats. I was shaking. I was fever. I'm drinking Peter Light and water, throwing up. But I had to finish the pieces. They ain't going to be ready Sunday. So I would lay on the bed and sleep for 40 minutes, set the alarm clock, get up, paint for 40 minutes, go back to sleep, throw up, get up, wow. decoupage a piece, decoupage one of the pictures, sign a number. Next day, I went to CVS, barely walked in and got some Pedialyte, got some more Gatorade, got some stuff to put on my stomach. And I just kept dousing Gatorade and Pedialyte. And by Saturday night, it had flushed out or whatever. No more, you know, throwing up and diarrhea. But for them two days, so when I showed up Sunday and I was all giddy and I was uh, all like, it was because them two days was hell. <laughs> and I had stayed up 
getting those stuff finished. But it goes back to what we started with, that hustle, that grind. Yeah, My yeah. wife was like, babe, what are you going to do? Like, just call them and tell them you're not. I said, I can't do that. Like, these people are waiting on me to do these prints. And Stacy and Dave, they already bought them. And I got to finish them. And, you know, I got to do this. And But, babe, you're gonna, you know what? You're going to be. I said, I will be fine. <laughs> you know? But it, it was just that mentality, like, by any means necessary. You, you got to do it. You got to finish it. And that's yeah, but I wanted to say that I don't think I ever told her. No, that's that's crazy. But you know, it's weird because because <laughs> hearing everything in your life, right? It seems like it seems like there's been so many. I'm trying to think of the best way to say it. Um, it seems like you capitalize on bad situations. Those never leave you where they find you. Like something happens that should break you, and you're finding right. a way of turning it around and actually using it to level up or to do something right. else. Cause those pieces, I mean, you know, those, those 22 Mohawks pieces were big. I mean, people were talking about those nonstop. Like that was an impressive right. collection. All that, But it's like, but I sometimes wonder if without the trauma, without the suffering, if your art is even what it is, like you're finding these ways of leveling yes. up. Right. And that's incredible. Yes. That's incredible to see. I think there's there's something really instructive and magnetic about that because that I, I I it's funny I remember on this show when we talked with Dave Meadows about his acting career and he said uh, I'm always grateful for the suffering he's like when I do my list of gratitude every night and I think about all the things I'm grateful for I think of how I suffer during the day and that's a big part of what I'm grateful for because I right. know it it moved me moved forward right. I feel like that with you. I feel like, like yeah. you've actively exploited that in a in a really positive way. Yeah, you, you're gonna make me tell my secrets, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but you're not courting it. I mean, that's another thing. You so say you're not court, you're not a drama queen. You're not going around right, going, right, right. Hey, let me look for it, which is what a lot of people. Well, want that's to what do, I was about to say. Right? The reverse side of that is, I do have a lot of creative friends that live in that drama pocket. Yeah, that live in that woe is me pocket, and and. Cause they think, or in the reverse, like there's the other side where people, I gotta smoke marijuana and get my brain to this, yeah. and do this just to be able to create, right? Yes. Like I can't create unless I'm in this, whatever, right? A fog, right? Yeah. Right. So for me, I do recognize the fact that a lot of my stuff comes from pain and and hurt and all these things, and I watch that, but then I learn that the giving and the accept, almost like venom, the symbiote, right? It's like. You take other people's pain and other people's suffering and other people's problems. And you take other things from the world and that becomes this, the, the symbiotic thing of pain and you can still paint it. I don't have to be in pain to paint. It. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people don't cross that border right there. Like they feel like they have yep. to be in pain or be in a fog or being be this. Me is like, like George, take George Floyd, for example. Right. Uh, when it happened, you know, a bunch of stuff went down. Um, and I had the, I wanted to do a piece, but I didn't want to be like every other artist when take advantage of like when Kobe died, you do a painting with this person. <laughs> right. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that yeah, ain't yeah. what I wanted to do it for. So yeah. I wait to, to, to feel it, to get it. And I watched the video, did the thing. And when I had a big 48 by 48 piece of metal, it was like, Oh, I'm gonna do this piece. But I used to have an antique booth. So I took all these old magazines, 60s, 70s magazines and cut out all the things that now would be considered racist that were written in those magazines and on those covers. 
and I put it, and then even the pictures of the policemen with the water hose and spraying the people and the dogs, and I put those in the background, and then I did the portrait of George Floyd, but I did it with a palette knife, didn't use a brush, so that it would get the textures and get the, it was, you know, represent the Mm. pain and the anger and all this, and I called it In His Image. So I was able to channel that whole thing and put it there, because I discovered a long time ago it ain't healthy for you to always be in yeah. pain. Yeah. <laughs> it is not healthy for you to always be in that mind space. Yeah. And I just put a post on Facebook, maybe last week, might have put it on Instagram, where I even recognize now as I'm moving on. And like I said, the New York trip started this mindset that because of what I do, a lot of people use me to dump their pain and to dump their stuff. Mm. But there's no mutual or beneficial thing in this relationship right here. You just call me when you need a show done and when something's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, I could just walk in and oh yeah do this do this do this and I you know I'm just gonna do it and I was like wait a minute why so I had put a post up to say I'm no longer I say I'm selfish I'm gonna be selfish I'm no longer asking you about your problems asking you about your pain asking you about how you're gonna solve your pain I'm not even trying to help you get out your problems or <laughs> people hear that it sounds bad I'm not saying that we're not empathetic and that we don't help people in need. I'm not saying sure. that. Right. I'm saying I'm not going to allow you to live in my brain space yep. because if I see you for 10 times and nine of those times, every time we got to talk about a problem, we got to cry, we got to, like, dude, like, you got to do something different. Like, let me get you like, get some help or whatever, but I feel like at some point, especially as an adult, you got to own what you're doing and let's let's work on it. And I re- I just started weeding that out like, oh, I see. So it's a pity party. Is this every time and go call me. So now. So once I did that, it just opened up more brain space and more creativity and more peace and more. I was like, oh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying like, well, like yeah. it, it's interesting because your work always it, it always um, leaves me with an incredibly good feeling. Right, I, and and I and I don't say that lightly, and I'm not finding the best words to express that. But your work, I think, is always um, this is such an overused word, but but for lack of a better one, I find it empowering. I always find it when I see it; it's bold, it's right. colorful, it's vibrant. It's like it's like a divine life. It's like there's a there's right. there's a great quality to it, and the fact that that's come from trauma. Or right. that, or and not not all of it directly. I'm not trying to yeah, yeah. make it a sob story, but I mean, but that, no, right. that, that certainly that path has been accelerated by some trauma right. in your life. Like that's right. and 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 as opposed to wallowing in it, you're giving right. something that's so selfless and that's so vibrant, and is something that people can relate to and be inspired by. And I right. think that's a huge. It's a huge thing that 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 that's that's big both philosophically and what you're doing with it. Right, is big. Does that kind of make sense? Am I being articulate oh, no, about 100%, this? No, 100%. It's a, um, my, I get that from my grandmother, my dad's mom. Um, I remember she told me one time, she said, there's two sides to the gift, the good side and the bad side. Yeah. She was like, everybody has the good side and the bad side. It's just whichever one you choose to let dominate, that's the one that's going to be there. So as you know, creatives, no matter if you're an actor, musician, whatever, you know, we know the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, yeah. 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 In yeah. the creative field, the way our brains work, we're more apt yep. to go down those deep dives of any of that because our brains have such big voids that we try to fill it with different emotions and different things to get back to that. 
So for me, I've always kind of had that thing with my work that, like I said, you putting yourself into it. So if I'm depressed, I can still paint something positive because I'm thinking about getting out of depression. I'm not painting it from a perspective of I'm depressed. I'm painting it from a perspective of, okay, we, I got to get out. I got to get through this. Like we got to get past. We, whatever we got to do, we, you know, we got yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing with the, my biggest series, Simply So Sexy. I get so many questions, especially from guys. Yeah. Your wife lets you do that? Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. I seen that picture. You, that model was in your room and your arm was around. I'm like, here's my friend Mimi. Well, how did you? I said, where was she going to change? <gasps> she changed in your room, in the bathroom, man. Like I told her if she was uncomfortable, we step outside, you know, but it was all good, you know, because when she was 17, when I was in California and I was first started doing photography and she does nude photography and stuff at one point, And she was, I could tell she, once again, me being who I am, I could tell by her body language, she was uncomfortable by some of the dudes. So I had booked her for 30 minutes. And when my time came, I was like, you know, you can put your dress on. We good. But she, I said, no, we're fine. I said, just pick that hammer up right there and pretend like your husband is late for dinner. And you had rose petals all down the floor and you cooked the dinner and you got the candles in the, in the, in the jacuzzi. And he was supposed to be home on time. And he called you and said, honey, I'm in traffic. And then he called you, said, I'm going back to the office. I said, so when he walks through that door, that hammer above your head, given that I'm sexy. But if you ever do this again, mm. I'll kill you. Right. And she was like. I said, snap. All right, we're done. <laughs> right. And to this day, she always tells me that's one of her favorite pictures. But that comes from me being an artist and a storyteller, first reading her body language and then doing that. But my point was taking new photography. Now, I've had conversations with, I'm putting Scrabble words on this girl's stomach, writing queen and sexy, mm-hmm. and she's laying on the floor and I'm taking pictures and we're talking about relationships. And she's like, you know what? Me and my husband need to get better like you and your wife. Like, how do y'all deal with relationships? And, you know, how do you, I need to go to church more? And I, I mean, we're having crazy. Okay, they're trying to go over this way. And we're taking, I'm taking new photos, right? So people always asking me, how do you do that? How do you separate both? I said, I'm a man. I see sexy. I see beautiful, gorgeous, all that. I said, but I am a pure creator, like pure creator. So I'm thinking of line, angle, context, like all of that at the same time. But to me, to take advantage of them or to take advantage of someone in that way or to use the gift in a negative way. But grandmother always said, there's a whole lot of other people God can give it to. And to me, it would put that taint on it where now it's not, you don't get that feeling anymore. When you see the work, it don't give you the same thing. It don't give you this. The women don't cry anymore. They don't feel healed anymore. It becomes like every other new piece or something. Where yeah, right, like, right. Oh, yeah, that's a breast. You know yeah. what I'm saying? That's yeah. But you know what I'm saying? There's no movement of feeling or healing in it. And I think that's where that healing is. Not that I'm perfect, not anything like that. But that one thing, um, people always ask me that question, like, how do you do that? And I tell them, I said, because I really don't be thinking like that. I, I recognize beauty. I recognize sexy. I Hey, that's beautiful, whatever, whatever. But at the end of the day, this is a thing. This is a gift. This is a whatever. And I would prefer to be on this side of it than we can go down the list from Whitney Houston to R. Kelly to not that they were bad people, but there are some things that they accepted that they did that led them down certain paths. You can go down just rock and roll or I mean, any creative field. Yeah. Yeah. You can just go down that list, the laundry list of people. 
that dealt with that demon. And I'm just thankful that I found a way to do it. And it ain't always easy, you no, know, really. but at the same time, you, you know, you have, you know, you have good family, good friends and all that. But I just accepted the, the biggest thing I think that happened is I accepted that they both exist. Too many people try to be perfect and say this one don't exist. No, gr- grandma said they both exist. <laughs> you can yeah. always have. Both. Yeah. Yeah. You, you cannot. If you, the day you start saying, I don't feel this and I don't, this doesn't exist. That's the day you mess up. That's the day that you go through those deep, deep dives of depression and deep, deep blackness and things like that and and you you i creep over the line every now and again but because i'm thinking that way i'm like oh okay we got to go over here and do this oh i gotta call somebody or i gotta you know you 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 yeah. kind of put yourself in those safe spots and moments where you deal with it there, it's so funny i that's i think incredibly profound and worth saying and and kind of i'm, I'm just going to underline it because it, it that i think it's incredibly true i think your greatest triumphs there is the seeds of danger and destruction. Oh, yeah. And in your worst moment, there is that, that there's a, not just a silver lining, there's a path to, to greater achievement. So right. it's, but it's, they're both there and it's, both yeah, there. it's uh, I, while you were saying that the most glib thing I could think was nobody would want Tom Cruise's life. Like, <laughs> like if you could trade your life for no, you, nobody would want that life. That, it's like, it's like, yeah, I mean, he's rich, famous in movies and all that. Dude, I mean, what kind of life is that? Like, dude, you can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. You're like, you're. That's well, it, man. I don't understand that? I just yeah. had a conversation last night with somebody. It's like, Angelo, you're doing all this stuff. You're gonna be famous one day. You're gonna be. You're gonna be a big art dealer. This. I said, here's the deal. I want to be known of, not known. Uh yeah. Like, I want to be when I walk yeah. in the room. Like, who are you? Oh, you're Angelo. Yeah. Versus everywhere you go. Oh, Angelo, Angelo. No, like that's. That's why I've done so many things to so many people that people never know about. Yeah. I was telling somebody the other day when we was talking about the new photographers, I got hard drives and full of stuff from yeah. people that are famous now and, and won contests and different stuff. I've never shown it or given it because I didn't take it for that. Yeah. I right. use it in my artwork and they trusted me because they seen the art and they knew even when I do the art, I just store it. You don't really know who it is and things like that. But I, I'm really a creative. I'm not selling it on the internet. I'm not sending it around, showing it to to my dudes and hey man, check this out. You know that kind of thing. Because once again, I believe there comes a great responsibility with this creative power. Just like you know, you can write something with words that yeah. can hurt somebody for life. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can hurt somebody big time. Oh, by yeah, it. of course. You know, yeah. and they will be scarred. You know, it 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 could really harm them. Versus. You know you can write something that can harm somebody, but you write something to bring them to their edge so they know they have it, but then you take them to the place of healing. It's two different things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what I wonder is, there's a, look, there's no safeguards except someone's personal moment-to-moment discipline. Right. But I have to think that had you not been raised in a religious household with a preacher as a father. Right. And, right. And maybe even if you hadn't done the Navy, so they right. had these, you constantly had systems around you that were giving you left and right limits, or at least yelling at you about left and right limits, whether or not you chose to follow them. Right. I mean, I, am I, am I making things up or does you think that factors into your decision-making now as an artist as to when I'll to use yeah. pictures and how to interact with all that? Yeah. I'll, I'll say it does factor into it. I mean, you cannot deny that. I mean, you grew up thinking you're going to hell for everything. 
you know, yeah. and uh, you, I always tell people this. I learned more about hell, fire, and damnation than grace and mercy early on. And of course, my dad mellowed out and switched, and you know, we got a great relationship and all that. But that's just what it was. What it was, right? Um, but in, but what it did do was, even when I went into the navy, I had lines in high school. Yeah. I had these little lines, but my personality was the same too. I never was the person that wanted to do these things or like I never had a, I just never had a desire to go do the drugs or do mm. that. I was around them and people and, and you, to what you said people always say it's because your dad is a preacher well like, he ain't here right now <laughs> right, right. Like, I can do whatever I want to do I just it, there was no fun in it and one day I discovered something I discovered that because I was talking to my friend like dude what do you get out of this man like y'all say y'all went to we go on Liberty and y'all go to this hotel and it's alcohol all on the tables and you know how the military go. And I'm like, hey, what, what do you get out of it? Man, it's fun, man. We got drunk and we did this. Well, I mean, after what? Like, what's, what, what, what do you get? I said, see, I, you know what it is? That's it. There's nothing fun about that to me. However I was built, however I was created, I absolutely don't have fun with that. But when people be telling me about their drug experiences and the stuff they be seeing, I'll be like, oh, I can already see that. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you talking about colors and swirlies and you see these different. I can literally imagine those things and paint them. You think them and you got to take this substance to get you there. And then you don't have it no more. You, but you're chasing a substance to make you get back there. All I got to do is walk to my studio and get some paint. And my mind will, boom, go right back and I can do a whole thing. Now, in reverse of that, one of the biggest problems, I don't know if you have this or if you know people, that I do face is as a creative, especially being married, I have to purposely say in my head, I'm going to commit to do something because we can get in our space and paint. I don't need you. And not in a negative way. It's just I can paint for two months. And 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 come over here and eat some eggs and go back to the studio. Yeah, yeah. And I know you're there, and I know you're my wife, and I love you to death. But this creative brain, I could go on a tangent for two months and not feel nothing. So I have to purposely be like, "Hey, honey, you want to go have breakfast today?" Now my first initial thought might be like, "Ah, I want to go to the studio and paint." No, let's go have coffee, honey. You know, <laughs> yeah. That's the side that for me is the battle is. Interesting. I have to purpose in my brain. Hey, this is, you love this person. You y'all y'all are, be great. We got a great relationship. We married seven years, eight years now. We got an eight year old. And but as a creative, you literally could be by yourself and just work and create and yeah. write and color and film and edit and and you get this endorphin rush and these rushes that other people have to have someone else there to get, and we can just get them. Yeah. And that's the side for me that is a battle sometimes where, oh, okay, yeah, 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 I have a, hey, babe, let's go somewhere today. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because I'm yeah. in the studio block, though. So, yeah, so that part I do want to say, because I talked to some of my other friends, like my good buddy Rich from Poly32, he's, he's my good buddy, y'all. And we talk about it all the time, like, hey, yeah, we, hey, what you doing today? Hey, y'all, you're okay, we, you need to go somewhere. You know, <laughs> because you can really just go into that space yeah. and you, don't need anybody. That's a great point. That's a great point. And that's something that's, I think, really under 
discussed. Like I was about to right. ask you about the intersection of like, you know, uh, coming from not just your childhood, but your military career and being in the arts world, if you had felt out of place. And oh, I guess yeah. I can't ask you that, but at the same time, like what you're just bringing up is, is a less covered, less acknowledged battle where you get where that necessary, and this is my bad line. I can't think of a better phrase for yeah, it. Yeah. There's a necessary narcissism, I think, to art. Right. Because if you don't care about it, who the hell else is going to? So I you have to be devoted to it. But then where do you, how do you draw that line so yeah. you can still interact with people? Yes. And as, as we say, other civilians. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So true. It's so true. No, listen, I mean, it's, it's a huge point. Um, but let me ask you that. Let me ask you about the first thing. Did you feel out of place in the military? Did you feel out of place in the art world? Did you feel out of place in both? Was it situational or was there something where culturally you're like, whoa, I'm, I, I like what I'm doing, but this is a, there's just a different culture and I, and I don't know how I fit in it. Was that ever an issue? Yeah, it de it definitely was. Um, Cause you know, you go in and you try to be in what everybody else is. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you, you know, they go to the clubs. I'm going to the club, you know, right. Right. And I get there and I'm dancing. I'm dancing. You know, I love dancing. You know, they used to call me the energizer bunny, you know, but then everybody's drinking. Everybody's and me. I'm over here. Hey, man, let me get a Coke. Hey, man, let me get a ginger ale. Well, your dad's a pastor. You no, know, it just don't taste good. It ain't that I don't want. It just don't taste good. Why? It ain't fun. Why do I want to drink something that tastes like Robitussin and NyQuil? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it don't taste good, right? Yeah. So then you try to fit in and you try to do other stuff. But then you go, I'm showing up on the mess decks with goofy slippers on from the Disney store with my coveralls on, 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 on pancake night. I'm walking, I'm going getting manicures and pedicures. And that's what I always did. Like, my granddad was a Southern gentleman. I seen him crease his Levi jeans and a white T-shirt, shine his boots just to go to the grocery store on Saturday. Saturday night, watching football, we spit shining his Stacey Adams in our shoes to go to church. So I was always like, I checked onto the John F. Kennedy in silk shorts, silk shoes, and some Gucci suede shoes. And my friend like, man, when you checked on, he was like, who the hell is this dude right here? You know? Wow. wow. So it was always that that I just did my own thing. And then people look at you like, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And after you hear that enough, you're like, well, maybe should I change? Should I do something else? Should I, yeah. you know? And so that was the military side. Then the art side, because I do so many things. Oh, you need to find a focus. You need to find a niche. Mm. Like you're not going to be successful unless you galleries and collectors want to know that you have a focus. And, a. but in my brain, I was like, I don't, care about collectors like i just want to paint and if you are a collector or a person that just with the mother with the five kids that walk in off the street with the stroller that loves to work mm. both of them the same person to me yeah but in the art world it's like the gallery the collector i had a friend hit me up one time i was like oh my god i love this hey i got a friend that knows a guy in new york he's an art creator he can get you a good write-up and if you get a write-up from him i said let me tell you something man I don't care what some old dude gonna say about my artwork. <laughs> he was like, "What?" I said, no, "I ain't say they ain't got a place." But I'm just saying for me. Let me ask you: This dude has never walked in my shoes. He's never lived where I lived. He's never been through my experiences. So I'm supposed to give him something 
and expect for him to give me this whole soliloquy of whatever. And then what if he gives a negative one? Oh, his work is juvenile and is whatever, right? I'm like, too many artists get ruined by that because they care. I was like, I know they have their own space in the art world, but for me, I ain't looking for that because you don't know me. You don't know my experiences. Like you said, you don't know the things I've been through to make me paint like this. So to you, it might be, oh, he doesn't have focus. He doesn't have a, okay, cool. But there's a whole lot of other people that message me and I see them and meet them. They're like, oh my God, man, my kids love this. Thank you for giving my son this. Thank you for reaching me. Thank you for showing this. That's what it's about to me. Like the rest of y'all is, it's a whole system. Like I don't know how the theater world works, but I'm pretty. I got some friends. And I'm pretty sure there's some of that. I we used to call like the Navy, the salty dogs that don't want to do stuff in the new person the way you do it. Like, they ain't the way we do it. We ain't right. never done it like that. Why are you doing it like that? You know. But it's you're right. There, there's that line of both. But I believe the personality I was given and just the experience, like my dad and all that, mm. combined with the military. It just created this package. Now, I've had artist friends say, hey, you got an unfair advantage. It's unfair. Like, you like all of it. You like the creativity. You like the business. Yeah. But then you you don't care what people say. And I tell them they have artist remorse. Like, I'm not trying to leave nothing in the closet and you can't yeah. see. Yeah. Like, get it out. Get it out into the world. Like, no, it's my baby. I want to. OK, you know what? You, you know, How are you going to sell? Well, I don't know. I don't know. And I get it. That's most artists. I've been told many times, you, you, you're you over here on this side. It ain't many people are artists like you. <laughs> like yeah, the rest of us yeah. is sitting in our studio. We don't want to yeah. talk about it. Don't look at me while I'm painting. Don't call me. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Me, I could be, be painting right now talking to you. Right, <laughs> you know, right. And watching TV at the same time. You know, it's all, it's all the same to me. Well, there's like a lack of pretension, I think, when you're not in a a major arts hub. I mean, don't do you think if like you had been born and raised in New York oh, City, yeah. oh my you'd God. be a wildly different person and with a wildly different outlook on your art, right? We talk about that all the time. Like people even told me when I moved to Sonora, you need to go to Atlanta because Atlanta's about 45 minutes away. Yeah. Your art. But my thing was this. It was like, I love Atlanta. Like I was born in Georgia. But why do I need to go to Atlanta to be me? Yeah. Like now I do get there's more discovery. There's more this. I get all of that. But to me, therein lies the problem that everybody goes to L.A., New York, this. What about that city right here? Like, what about that whole group of beautiful creatives right there? Like, I helped found the Sonoya Arts Collective. It's 140-something people on the page now. You know, and then I was yeah. the, I was on so many boards around the local area and helped build other stuff. And But it was the same thing. It was like, why do we all got to go to Atlanta? Because then you're going to get to Atlanta, they're going to say, oh, you got to paint this way. Or we're, we're looking for this. And I've been told that. Now, here's a crazy one I've been told. I want to say this, too. I have actually been told my work is not Afrocentric enough. Think about that statement. Here I am, <laughs> almost 49-year-old black man, <laughs> being told by white curators and gallery owners my work is not Afrocentric enough to be shown in their galleries. Jesus fucking Christ. Think about that. Right? And I'm like, well, technically, if we just going to get technically about it, everything I paint is black art. If you look for my <laughs> <laughs> You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know? But I'm just saying, that's that's how those bridges be, get broken a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. Assimilating because now everybody's trying to paint what black art is supposed to look like because you want to be in those spots. 
But the day you let those spots go and let things go and realize whatever I've been given, this is me. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Now you to me, you end up affecting more people and influencing more people than just trying to become what they want. So you can. And and, and it's totally I'd use that example. Of course, you know, that flies across the board. Sure. You know, now here's another. I'll throw this one out there. My wife, if she was here, she said, so (laughs) I've been told this, too. I show up. My name is Angelo. You see the work. I'm going to ask you this question. Most shows that you watch, design shows and, and different shows like that. The usually the most of the time the black man is on there. Tell me, but tell me about it, about those design. American Next Top Model, uh, Design on a Dime, any of those shows. Tell me about the guy that's on there. I've never watched any of them, so I have no idea. It will, most of the time, the uh, guy that's on there is gay. Most of the times, ninety some percent of the times, the black that's guy. Not, you mean the black guy's gay? Good. Yeah. Okay. All okay. good. All cool. Right. Right. Right, right. right. But when I show up. And I'm doing what I'm doing. And I'm talking about colors. And I'm doing what I'm doing. I've had the question so many times. Is your wife a woman? <laughs> are you, or are you gay? Or are you, how do you, uh, you're free. I see you hugging these guys and they're gay. And you this, And I, like I said, I have trust. You know, right, 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 right. No issue. But I'm just saying all these things that go into this melting pot that if you don't have a certain attitude, if you female, or if you this, or if you this or that, or the way society is operating, no, right no, no, yeah, I know. With this council culture and with yep. identity politics, thing, yeah. Yeah. identity politics, yeah, and and the pronouns, I'm all yeah. good, with all of it. But just like the military, just like anywhere else, when you come and you tell me that, and I give you a response, don't look at me like I'm the bad guy. Huh. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I'm not arrogant. Oh, you just arrogant and stuff. No, I'm not. I'm just answering your question. Matter of fact, I mean, we just had drinks together. I knew you was gay. I don't care. Like, we good. Let's go have some sandwiches. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Let's have a great time. But when you try to place it in these different boxes, and I think that's where the creative world, society in general, but really in the creative world, it gets these little bubbles of, yeah. If you're not this or that and you don't do it this way, then we're going to push you over here. I, I could not agree more. I think, I mean, correct me if, if it's been different in your experience. I feel like the veteran community should be somewhat insulated from that because we're kind of used because we're because for us, it's not a big fucking 100%. deal. Right. That's, what I was going. It, That's actually yeah. where I was going with it. Yeah. One one hundred percent that the veteran community. It's more open, more accepting, more just, hey, whoever you are, what you're doing, what you got going on. And we're looking at the bottom line. We're looking at the bottom yes. line. It's like, it's like, yes. I mean, if your work is shit, your work is shit. It's like, I, right. you know, I, I, I have to look at that ultimately. Like it's, that's, right. it's, it's everything, whoever you are, we'll, we'll deconstruct that later. Like that's right. a second order effect. It's not what right. you leave with, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh shit, right. you went through this, you went through this. Oh, cool. We'll find all that out. Right. It's like, but it has to start with, with just what the actual product is or what the actual content is. Yes. And I think, I think veterans can be a bit more clear headed about that. I totally agree. And I just had a conversation at the coffee shop two days ago with some people and they were asking about the military. They found out I was military, found out I was artist, all that kind of thing. Mm. And of course the first thing for whatever reason, when you tell them when you went in, people want to ask about, don't ask, don't tell. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, dude. Really? Yes. Cause I told them when I went in and I was like, that's, but you know what I told him? Exactly what you just said. I said, dude, we had no problems. 
I was like, you got your salty dogs, you got different people, but veterans and military people are the most open, accepting, cultural grabbing. Hey, let's go over here and let's go get some coffee. People that you're gonna ever meet. Well, like, we work together. We 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 in close quarters together. We we it, it just is. That's that was now that was the beauty of my experience in the military. Like I loved it for that reason. Yeah. Like you really yeah. didn't get that anywhere else in society. That. You know, one of my good friends ain't gonna call his name because most people might not knew it back then. Like he he was gay. But I remember when right. we had like uh shower hours and we stand, you know, we got no potable water on the ship, and you stand in your towel, he's standing in your, we were having a conversation. You you know, you water soap, walk out, do that. Nobody was thinking about it. Everybody right. knew it, but ain't nobody was like, Oh my god, I can't go in here. But in other realms of society, it seems to operate that like that on different levels, where in the military. Just like I had never met Gus before, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and I had you know put my work up and all. He comes in and well, we had this wall and want this. Wall. Oh man, my fault. Hey, I put mine over here. Go ahead, man. Let's do it. Yeah, you sure. Right. Let's do it. You need help. That's the military way. Now in other galleries I've been in, or other places I've been, I was hanging my work one day locally here. I'm on a ladder hanging it. Look down. There's a lady sitting right beside me. What are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean? I'm hanging my work. We, our work goes here, and you guys are supposed to hang your stuff over there. I'm like, well, my bad. Like, I didn't know. I was told right. to hang it here. Right. So I take it down. You need help? And I, I'm my, my fault. I'm good. So I'm taking it. Hey, you, and do you have a do you have a release form? Uh, what's that? Well, you can't hang your work without a release form. I'm like, okay, look, I I'm new. I don't know. So one of the other ladies walks in. Oh my God, you're Angelo. Yeah, how you doing? I seen you at the show and you did this. Hey, y'all, this is this Angelo. Oh, you're Angelo Robinson? Back to my original point. Why do I have to give you a CV and a resume to get respect? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I didn't know. I knew August because I had, once, you know, I always do my research when I'm going somewhere. Right, right, right. Right? But it didn't matter what you did and who you are. I'm going to help you hang your paintings. I'm gonna, that's, what, that's what veterans do. Yeah. It's that community. It's that thing. But in a lot of places in society, it don't operate like that. And, and, and it's not as bad as most people made it out to be. They focus on that 1% of people, which yeah. do that in a lot of places. But in general, the military experience was great because of that reason right there, that people was just more willing, even if you had different views, even if you did have different philosophy. Yeah. Even if I knew some Aryan nation and some racist people on the ship. But right. guess what? We both laid back on that line, pulled the ship in. Right. We both we both sat in a child hall together. Hey, and when they went home, they did what they did, and it was hey, right. hey Mark, right? But it's almost a metaphor for life, right? right? It's like everybody from wildly different things. But at the end of the day, this ship's going to sink if we're not all pulling together. <laughs> Thank you, right? And it, it's like, and, and I mean, it is. I think Thank the military you. is just a metaphor for life in so many ways. And um, yeah, that I mean, is, yeah, I, that, it, that's interesting. I, I haven't had that experience, but and and maybe I just. Have willed myself into not having that for some reason that really pisses me off that people have heard you're a veteran the first thing they ask about is don't ask don't tell like that was right during fucking at the that height of afghanistan like, and iraq thank you like so you're not thinking about the wars you're not thinking about that that's right. what you're thinking about like that's you what comes to your mind couple, so i didn't know where their experiences was or what yeah it was. yeah, yeah. Really yeah. looked at them like really this is, this is what we're talking about in 2022 yeah like, yeah, yeah fucking crazy serious but then I just realized, like, once again, it's just people have their set in stone beliefs and they have their systems. And when you stand outside of those systems and tell people, I don't care what you are, or who you are, as long as you respect, 
And long as we talk, and matter of fact, let me rephrase that. You ain't got respect. I'm gonna say respect you. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. You gotta earn it. No, I believe in. I'm gonna respect you because I want to stay good with baby Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like I want to stay good. Now I would protect my family and protect myself. But you can yell, spit, cuss, do whatever you're gonna do. I'm gonna look at you and be like, sir, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. Why? I'm look. I people crazy these days. I ain't trying to. Yeah, fight yeah, yeah. The, like I'm trying to keep it keep it on the cool. But you said something a second ago about the um, the military and how it was. So my show, Crayola, Crayola Feelings, that's what it is. It's that exact thing. That the earth is a box of crayons. We're all those crayons inside. The human beings mm. are the crayons inside the box. But within that box, you got red, blue, green, orange, yellow, purple. But within red, you got 10 shades, 20 shades of red, 20 shades of blue. So even within the reds, there's 20 different shades. Right. But they're right. all in the same box and they're all in the box of crayons. So Crayola Feelings is when people come in, say your favorite color is orange, you download an orange ticket. Everything you have on has to be orange when you come in. Uh, Whatever you have on this color, it can be ladies have come in with yellow lipstick, yellow earrings, yellow fingernail polish, a different shade. A lady comes up to me. She says, oh, my God, Angela, I finally get what you did here. I'm like, what do you mean? She said, I was talking to this woman for 45 minutes about kid and family and life when you get to yellow, because we both had on yellow. And she said, I just recognized that she was Hispanic. Uh, she said, I've never had that experience before. She said, usually, yeah. if I was right now, if a blonde walked across, there's blonde jokes that going to come in your head because of all the stuff you've seen her. If, you know, a Hispanic or black or whatever. It's yeah. just all these built-in things from yeah. marketing, commercials, and inputs. But if you just push that to the side, and there's a woman, yeah, there's a man, and you just go from there. Like you were saying earlier, you just go from there. It's such beautiful experiences that we can have. Yeah, a much fuller and richer life. And people, man, you like you always having fun. This is you gonna. This is the most hilarious thing ever. This lady told me one time. She said, "I hate you." you like that <laughs> it's, it's arrogant and you and you're you're prejudiced i'm like huh she said you don't like ugly people uh, i said okay let's start over now first of all how you doing i'm angelo <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about like she said every time you come to your shows and i go on your page you're always around beautiful people you always got beautiful women and the men are handsome and yes. i'm like I didn't. I don't have a Rolodex and put an H for handsome and S for sexy and call them. You know what I'm saying? She, she's like begging for amateur psychological analysis. Yeah. yeah, that, yeah. So I asked her. I said, "So you're with me right now? So are you calling yourself ugly or <laughs> which one are you? What are we talking about?" And she stopped and she was like, "I said, I'm just saying. You said I'm always around beautiful people. You standing right here right now. So what are we talking about?" Like I said, now if you're asking me, I said, "No disrespect to your husband or your boyfriend. Whatever you got going on." I said, but you're sexy. You got the hair. You got, you got the freckles. You know, I know some people love freckles. You got shoes. I see you got a little style. And her whole thing changed. Yeah. And then my yeah. wife walks up. I said, this is my wife. I said, babe, this is Carrie. How you doing? How you doing? And the lady kind of got, I said, babe, look, look at her shoes. The shoes are crazy, ain't they? I said, she's sexy. My wife said, yeah, you're beautiful. And my wife, she was like, what just happened? I was like, what? She said, you just told your wife that I'm beautiful. I'm like, you are. She was like, she didn't get mad. I'm like, about what? She said, but you called me beautiful. I'm like, but you are. I said, oh, I, ain't, I said, I'm not, I didn't hit on you. I didn't ask you for your phone number. I'm not trying to go home with you. It was a matter of fact statement. You're beautiful. 
I'm about to go over here and go eat. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. Like we have lost the compliments. We've lost yeah. the, yeah. the, the niceties because I get it. Me too. And all the, uh, I get it. I right, get right, it. right. In general, that experience right there was really befuddling to me. Like, wow. She literally walked up to me and she told, and she explained, she looked at my Instagram and all this stuff. But you know what I told her? I said, it's the law of attraction. Yeah. My heart and my soul is like, I love everybody. I enjoy talking to anybody. I don't care if you're racist. I don't care if you're tall, short, big, skinny, black, white, blue. Yeah. I talk to anybody. My brother yeah. say you'll sell a camel some ward in the desert. You know what I'm right, saying? Right, right, you know, right. I love everybody. But you're I seeing the so, best in people. That's right. what there's a deficit yes. of. I exude yeah. that. I yeah. exude that. Yeah. So if you exude that, what are you going to attract? You're yeah. going to attract people that feel like that. You're going to attract confident people. You're going to attract people that think they're. Now, you're not attracting people. I said, no, nah, I ain't Denzel Washington. I already know that. You know what I'm saying? I was like, so it ain't yeah. like that. Yeah. But that positive spirit, the positive energy, it's the law of attraction. You attract what you feel. You attract what you say. You attract how you're talking. I said, so if you walk around here thinking that everybody else around here is beautiful. You're only going to go find yourself around people that think just like you, who yep. think they belong with those people. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's- oh, my God. I'm so sorry. I don't know. I'm, I'm good. I said, you just haven't talked to the right person. Don't mind talking until, you know, yeah. I'm not going to get at you. Like, I'm good, you know? But yeah, I thought I'd tell you that because I think people need to hear that. That that's, they do, do. that's a mindset that we, that created, we can get into really bad. I'm not good enough. My stuff don't look good enough. I, I don't feel, no, man, like you, what you got is yours. Yeah. It don't have to be like this. It don't have. Yeah. I'm not Basquiat. You know what I'm saying? I'm not Warhol. You know what I'm saying? I'm not. I'm not. No. You know, that's those guys. That's what they did. No. Right. But if right. you got is good enough. You just got to work on what you're doing and not worry about all those other caveats. Of, OK, this critic said this. Or this said, No, just work. Yeah. And along that path, those people that you're supposed to meet, those situations that's supposed to happen. They're going to happen. I told my wife I was doing this today. She was laughing. She's like, wow, are you doing that? I was like, yeah. I said, I got to do that. I got to stay in good graces with Chris. They can invite me to the next show. I, I said, you know, that was one of one. I want to go to two or two. You know? <laughs> and she was true. laughing. She's like, yeah, that's how you be thinking. I'm like, yeah, because here's the thing. I don't, anybody with good energy and good thing, I'm going to connect and call you back and work with you and whatever. Why? You didn't, we both work. I might be doing something with Madison when I move. And get a contract and get some. Hey man, I know this guy to do play. Hey Chris, what? How much would it cost for y'all to do this? What's the budget? Yeah, he said. You know, you don't know. Yeah, yeah. But if you're not thinking that way today, yeah, you're gonna be selfish tomorrow. A hundred percent. And you gotta identify talent. You gotta you gotta know people that's like, oh yeah, these are people I want to keep right. in mind for X, Y, and Z. You never know when that stuff comes back around. So don't. you just go, hey, the only currency you operate in is talent. Like, right. oh yeah, bitching gold star. Right. I'll get back to it at some point, you know, now, later, whatever. It's like at some point this is worth mining, you know. Exactly. When did you get out of the Navy? I got out September 2002. Then I went back in and I think October 06 to the reserves in the CBs. I did four years in the CBs after that. So why why was that? Why did you take the four years off? In between active duty and then why'd you go back? I was military police my last three years. And I was like, I was going to do a career. I was going to stay in. But Iraq was like really hot at that moment. And I was 95-45 law enforcement specialist, you know, nine millimeters, sharpshooter, all these things. And all my friends had been over there for like a year and a half. And they were saying, oh, yeah, we're going to send you over there. And this, 
And I and at that time I had three kids with my ex, and you know they, I'm talking about roadside bombs mm, and sniper checks yeah. and IEDs, and I just didn't think it was fair to to knowingly go at that moment and know the high chances of what I was going to be doing for my family after I had already been gone for the first six out of the ten years of my my uh, right. marriage, and then um, so I got out. You know, and I probably it did honestly. I probably would have stayed in, but my ex was a little. She was a little forceful about it, about getting out. You know really? Yeah. So uh, I ended up getting out. Yeah, ended up getting out. Uh, and then the VA made the padding a little softer because they was I did you know the inspections or whatever, and they was like um, they would give me at least thirty percent for the knee surgeries and the, all that kind of thing. And so yeah, that's that's why I ended up getting out the first time. And then why'd you get back in? I. The, the the itch of not knowing if I was going to, you know, could have stayed. And then at that time I had started going to college and the VA, I was at UNC Charlotte in North Carolina. And uh, I met this guy and we were talking and I was going to school for business and finding all that kind of stuff. And he said, oh man, you can be in the army. You can go to be an army officer and work in Millington or work over here. You know what? I was like, really? So I started training. I was going to go to officer school and they had, I started doing the paperwork. I was doing everything for it. But then I tweaked my knee a little bit so I couldn't train. I couldn't do this run I was supposed to do. And I got to talking to them. They was like, oh, yeah, if you come in, you got to give up the 30% disability because we can't take anything over. I think it was 20-something, whatever it was. I had to give it up, basically. So I said, well, wait a minute. If I go to officer school and that grueling school, I get hurt and I hurt the same knee because it's already technically hurt. And mm-hmm. I hurt again. I said, oh, yeah, we wouldn't be able to pay you for it because it might be considered pre-existing. And I was like. Grandfather always said a bird in hand is better than one in a bush, <laughs> you know. So um, I I decided to step back and then I went into the reserves, but then they didn't have my rating IC two. So they was like, "Hey, you ever thought about the CBs?" I was like, "Oh yeah." So I went into the CBs and I became a BU two. Went to Greensboro, North Carolina. What is that? What's a BU two? Builders mate. Okay. They have basically you know the carpentry and all that kind of stuff and yeah um, yeah, yeah and um. I never got to go anywhere. I never got to go to the school because the day I went there, they were shipping out for something and they was fussing about they didn't have their blankets and their boots and all this stuff. And the guy that was on the computer was like, hey, I get it. And I was looking, I was like, well, why don't you just change that and move that over there and do this? He was like, you know how to do the computer thing? Now, I forgot that the Navy stands for never again volunteer yourself. I forgot that. I forgot that's what it meant. So I volunteered myself to show him how to do that. So I'm on there. I done changed stuff and moved stuff, and they updated the shipping and created an inventory thing and did this. And they was like, "So you know how to do computers?" I was like, "Yeah, let's hope." From then on, that's what I was doing. <laughs> I, I, Holy I, shit! I I was the computer person. I went, you know, I went when they went to Virginia to do guns and shootings, or whatever. But I never went anywhere else because I was. The, but hindsight, I am thankful for it because when people went on their missions and went somewhere, when they got there, they had their blankets and their boots and whatever else they needed, or it was the next day. It wasn't like you on your way back and your stuff is getting there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, right, right. But yeah, so I forgot that that's what the Navy stands for. Never again volunteer yourself, and I volunteered myself. <laughs> how'd you How'd you feel when you left the the reserves then, and now you were totally done with the military altogether? How'd you feel? Did you feel fulfilled with it? Did you feel? I mean, obviously there was upsides, but I mean. How, how do you think about felt, your career? I felt 90%. Mm. And the 10% wasn't even about the military. It was about art. I felt like I didn't take advantage enough of being out on the ocean and taking photos. 
for being in Dubai and going to the museum. Like I, my first cruise, of course, all my money was at a club and a hotel. You know, uh, so uh, that piece of it right there, I felt like, man, you know, I did. I mean, great stuff, all that kind of thing. But that piece, I was like, yeah, that that was a regret that. I felt like I left that on the table that I was there and I didn't experience, experience it. We, I, I just realized we've done fucking over two hours, dude. This has oh, been really? a fucking blast, man. Holy shit. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I was <laughs> like about to ask something and I was like, what the fuck? I was like, we've been going for so long. <laughs> hey, tell everybody where they need to follow you, how they need to follow you, reach out to you, how they can contact you, all that stuff. Well, you can follow my art, ATR Fine Art on Instagram. That's ATR Fine Art. Also, atrfineart.com. And you can follow Yellow Tub Creative. Yellow is the word Yellow Tub Creative on Instagram. And uh, it's also the website. That will be the Pursuto Government Contracting Business. And before I say that, the name Yellow Tub, because I always get asked that. It goes back to what you asked about the childhood. We all grew up, eight of us. So, you know, those little yellow tubs that babies took a bath in? Yeah. We had one of those. So I would have to walk up to my auntie's house up this dirty pathway with two gallon jugs, fill those jugs up, bring them back to my house. My mom would boil the water, pour it in that little tiny yellow tub, and all of us would take a bath in that little yellow tub. So the company name Yellow Tub Creative comes from family, togetherness, just making it. So that's where the name Yellow Tub came from. Interesting. Yeah, it makes total sense. That's freaking awesome. Well, yeah, those are two best ways to contact, get in touch with me right there. I love it. Um, we got to do this again, man. Oh, definitely. We got to do this. I mean, we're going to be in touch anyway on stuff, but definitely. I mean, dude, this was a blast. Um, can't wait for the next ones, man, but, uh, yes. I'm glad Thank we could you. finally do this brother. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That was Angelo T. Robinson's profile in havoc. Um, such a great dude, such a, uh, I'm so excited to see where his life and his career go from here. Um, let's set up front. Somebody to keep your eye on uh, for any number of reasons uh, going forward. Okay. We started off this episode by thanking one of our episode's sponsors, Second Mission Foundation. And I'd like to take a second and thank our episode's other sponsor, Veterans Repertory Theater. Veterans Repertory Theater is a tax-exempt nonprofit 501c3 organization which provides a platform for talented veterans to create compelling live theater, and events in order to enhance, enliven, and invigorate American theater and the live performance arts. <clears throat> Obviously, full disclosure, that is my nonprofit. So um, I usually, as you guys know, I like to put out shameless plugs about what VetRep has going on. Um, I can't invite you all to anything. We have very few public-facing events uh, over the next few months january to march is kind of our reset time we have an awful lot going on just not a lot that i can share and and publicize um i will say we had a press release come out uh just the other day um so i feel pretty comfortable (laughs) telling you guys all about it uh we are having our first industry read in new york city um for those of you that don't know that term i don't blame you i didn't either until 10 minutes ago but uh, basically, it's um, where we get a um, cast and director together to read just for the industry, just for invite-only um, guests for co-productions. <clears throat> and we're very excited about this. This is one of the first plays that we are developing. The play is called The Calm Before by Air Force daughter and Air Force sibling, Deborah Yarchin. 
Uh, she's a phenomenal playwright. Uh, I'm just a huge fan of hers. And we were very uh, grateful and, well, thrilled um, to get um, Broadway star Krista Rodriguez to take the lead role and Michael Gaston to play the other lead role, um, two incredibly accomplished um, actors, and then Jessica Blank, uh, the incredible Jessica Blank, uh, whose show The Exonerated, based on her <clears throat> interviews with death row inmates, uh, was a huge hit uh, in 2003 and, and went on to, uh, I think they filmed it, and there was there's a million iterations of that show. That show was just um, um, a truly legendary off-Broadway show that toured the country and uh, they did it in front of Supreme Court justices. De- uh, Jessica's done a million other things as well, but that um, that always stands out to me because last time I was in the city doing theater, that show was a big deal. So um, <laughs> so that always stands out in my mind. But Jessica's play, Coal Country, uh, that she directed, um, was running in 2022. Anyway, I say all that just to completely, not even humble brag, brag brag, that I'm thrilled for our first industry read. We got these phenomenal folks uh, to come together, just a great team of um, really, uh, you know, high-profile names in the theater world. <clears throat> and I know that for a lot of you guys, you're going to sit there and listen to these names and go, I've never, I don't know who any of them fucking are. Uh, this means nothing to me. And that's kind of why Veterans Repertory Theater exists, is because American theater should mean something to everyone in the country, and it doesn't. It's become an increasingly... Uh, uh, provincial, isolated, um, very geographically aligned folk art, almost. Not really. It's a, it's obviously there's a lot more money in, in Wasta there than with your average folk art, but close. I mean, it's really been it's it's ghettoized itself. It's put itself in a, its own little artistic ghetto, <clears throat> and um, and that's not how American theater used to be, and that's not how it should be. It's a beautiful art form. Um, you know, and I think at vet rep, we try to make it accessible to everyone. And our way of doing that is to infiltrate veterans into the theater, because I think veterans do tell a different kind of story. It doesn't have to be war stories. Um, but I think veterans and at vet rep, we define veterans as military fire, EMS, intelligence services, foreign service, uh, DOD employees and contractors, kind of a, a broad swath of the profession of arms and immediate family members like Deborah Yarchin. So uh, that's who we include in our definition of veteran to be able to submit plays to us that we will produce if we like them. Um, So I say all that to say uh, we're very thrilled to have gotten this very kind, very uh, high profile um, first reading uh, from so many talented folks and um, you know, looking to co-produce uh, in the city of, you know, some pretty awesome venues, and we'll see how that all works out. But anyway, that's definitely something I can brag to you guys about now. Um, yeah, we're pretty excited about it. And again, you guys can't come, so I'm being a dick. I mean, there, there's, you know, I'm telling you about it. It's an invite-only thing for industry. It's, you know, very few seats and uh, all the rest of it. But anyway, I'm bragging about it because um, I have nothing else that I can invite you guys to yet. We will have stuff coming up. <clears throat> Actually, okay, or let me make that up to you. Okay, so there's, ah, oh God, I can't announce that yet. Okay, what I can tell you, all right, heads up. This is the first notice that we're giving to this. 
on April. Th- okay, so if your juices are, are, are stewing right now and you're like, okay, hey, I'd love to go see something Vet Rep does. Okay, I do have something for you. April 13th, obviously of this year, April 13th, 2023, <clears throat> we will be returning to Alexandria, Virginia, returning to the site of our original crime, returning to the principal gallery in Old Town Alexandria for our second Savage Wonderground immersive art performance. Um, the show will be completely different, different artists, different setup, different staging, different content, different theme. We haven't even gotten to the theme yet, but we'll get there and I'll let you guys know what that is. But uh, it will be awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, Principal Gallery was an awesome place to debut the concept of Savage Wonderground. And now to go back there and revisit it. I think a principal gallery is having some renovation done. So the place might even look a little bit different and have a little bit of a different layout, which just allows us to do more cool things and reinvent the show in a completely different way. So April 13th, more details to follow. Uh, you can find out uh, more about Savage Wonderground at savagewonder.com. And for everything related to Vet Rep, uh, go to vetrep.org, V-E-T-R-E-P.org, vetrep.org. Okay, I need to thank our producer, Mike Neal, as always. And I think that's it, right? Yeah, I think I've given all the shameless plugs and thank yous I can. Appreciate you guys listening uh, this long. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer on behalf of Angela T. Robinson. See you next time for another Profile in Havoc. Thank you.